I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom. Pumped about this next guest. By Alec. All right. And we yeah. want to pump you up, everybody out there, <laughs> with the good news of Jesus Christ. Indeed. And our guest this week is Todd Nettleton, the Director of Media Development for Voice of the Martyrs USA Ministry, mm-hmm. uh, one that many of our listeners are familiar with. We're going to talk about a very unique topic. We're going to talk about Reverend Wormbrand's appeal for Christian love for terrorists today. Mm-hmm. Uh, very controversial topic that I believe only Reverend Wormbrand could actually yeah. pull off. Most people would call him a heretic, but and it's hard to do that for Reverend Wormbrand. When they see the stripes on his back, yep. suffered for the cause of Christ, it's a little hard to say that. But mm-hmm. I guess our listeners can be the judge. Uh, here is our first segment with Mr. Todd Nettleton, and we'll be right back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Interested in this show because I think it's going to be interesting. That's all. Bionic. Well, I'm glad you're interested <laughs> since you're in the studio today. That certainly makes much better participation. Yeah. And there, then there is a reason to be because we have a, a classic Future Quake topic this week. Uh, this week, uh, we have visiting with us Mr. Todd Nettleton, who is the Director of Media Development for Voice of the Martyrs USA uh, Ministry. And we're going to be talking about the topic of Reverend Wormbrand's appeal for Christian love for terrorists today. Uh, we've talked about this a lot over the years on our show, trying to understand the real sources behind it, what's really going on, and trying to have a Christian response. And we're going to address this issue directly. Uh, but, Mr. Nettleton, I want to welcome you for your first visit to the Future Quake radio show. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be with you. Well, I appreciate you making time, and I know your extremely busy schedule for us and for our listeners. Uh, I know many of our listeners are already familiar with the ministry that you represent, Voice of the Martyrs. But for those who are not, could you please very briefly describe the purpose and scope of your ministry, uh, its brief history, and what's involved in today? Well, the tagline uh, below the below the headline on the cover of our newsletter every month is Servants of the Persecuted Church, and that is really what we strive to be at Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, we strive to go to the places where Christians are being persecuted for their faith, and really come alongside them and say, okay, uh, you're here in, in your country. You know your situation better than we do. How can we help? What can Christians in America do uh, to help you and to stand with you as you suffer for the name of Christ? And so uh, the, the different projects that we do are as different as the countries where we serve, uh, anywhere from uh, in the situation in North Korea, launching scripture balloons that have gospel tracks that are attached to helium balloons, fly up over and go over North Korea and drop those gospel tracks down uh, to a country uh, in the Middle East where maybe somebody's been arrested and we can help them get an attorney, uh, help them fight the charges that are against them, but always with the eye to serving the persecuted church and, and to coming alongside them. And then in the United States, being a voice for them and telling American Christians, hey, 
your brothers and sisters in restricted nations don't have it as good as you do. They're suffering. We're all a part of the body of Christ. And, and the Bible says when one part suffers, all the parts should suffer. Mm-hmm. And so we remind the American church of the suffering parts of the body of Christ and really invite them to enter into that fellowship and to be connected with the body of Christ around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Very excellent, succinct summary there, and I know you're involved in so many ways. You know, I find it ironic because most American Christians today think that the church is the American church. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are other <laughs> believers outside of the United States. Yeah, and we're, we're the flagship that, you Jesus know, the, the, king, <laughs> the kingdom of God would ground to a halt if uh, if we stopped here in America. Well, you know, U.S. is in Jesus. Well, that is yeah, true. Uh, but, well, the uh, other thing that American Christians think is that the last chapter of the book of Acts is the last chapter of persecution, and that... You know, Acts yeah. closes, and, and we're done with persecution now. Yeah. And so uh, that is is a part of our job at Voice of the Martyrs, is just to remind people that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Christ said, I'm going to suffer. He said, the world hates me, and if you follow me, the world will hate you too. Uh, mm-hmm. And he didn't say just through the end of the book of Acts. He said, oh, you know, kind of for all time, mm-hmm. if you follow me, the world's going to hate you. And that's that's really what we see around the world. Well, I hate to tell you, but that ne- message is never going to sell on TV. Yeah. Uh, How t- are you going to get like, TV preachers the love are, offerings and the, the TV preachers are, are going to get anywhere with that kind of message? You know, it's got to be a prosperity message we have. But I think in, in our culture, suffering means you got to wait to get carpet for the sanctuary, or you know, wait to build a Christian life the center. The coffee's yeah. cold. Uh, the yeah. coffee's cold. Yeah, that's that's what we relate I to. I didn't like the worship music as much as I liked it last week. Because yeah. uh, if you go if you go through the typical Christian bookstores, they're going to be jam packed with self help books about how to be wealthier and happier, and everything centers around you. And uh, it sounds like you're you're not talking about Christians in sick bay. You're talking about ones out on the trenches in spiritual warfare and hand to hand combat, where the, where the enemy is doing their work and the church is prospering through their suffering. Uh, but we're to be there to, to help uh, bear their wounds alongside them and with them, just like the charge in the epistles as well, too. Um, Reverend Richard Wormbrand, who was the initiator and inspiration for the ministry itself, uh, is obviously known worldwide for his suffering in Romanian prisons and his authorship of uh, his classic book, Tortured for Christ. Mm-hmm. Can you very briefly uh, fill us in on a few more details uh, succinctly about his life and ministry? Pastor Wormbrand was uh, a persecuted Christian himself, and in fact, he spent a total of 14 years in prison in Romania, uh, actually was quite a well-known pastor when the communists took power. Uh, they had a big event, what they called the Congress of the Cults. They gathered all of the Christian leaders together, and the, the honorary chairman of the event was Joseph Stalin. And they invited these Christians to come together to explain to them how communism and Christianity could coexist. And if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, and we'll all just get along fine. Pastor Wormbrand went to the front, and and at the time, the communist leaders thought, oh, this is great. Here's this well-known, well-respected pastor. He is going to say nice things about communism. This This is a coup for us. This is wonderful. Instead of saying nice things, he said, listen, um, we God and Satan can't really lay down together. We cannot stand by while the communists tell their lies and while they tell that there is no God, and, and Christians stand up and be strong. And they cut the power to the microphone. Pastor Wormbrand actually had to sneak out the back door in order to get away. But just within a few weeks after that, a van pulled up beside him on a Sunday morning, 
and forced him into the van. He disappeared into the prison system in Romania. He was held eight years that time. Then he was released for a couple of years. Then he went back for six more years of prison. His wife, Sabina, was actually told several times that he had died in prison. They sent people to her. They said, one in one case said, you know, I was a prisoner. I was in the prison with your husband. I saw him die. I know he's dead. Uh, Sabina refused to believe it, and I and I think the spirit really sustained her to believe, no, he's still alive, he's still alive. Part of his punishment was three years in a solitary confinement cell, and that was 30 feet below ground level. For three years, he never saw another person. He never heard another sound. The guards actually wore socks on the outside of their shoes to make sure they didn't make any noise. And so it was this dark, silent place for three years. And in that place, God gave him sort of a vision for what Voice of the Martyrs would be and a ministry to help people like him, to help suffering Christians. When Pastor Wormbrand came out of Romania, he was actually ransomed out of the country. And before he left, the police took him aside and they said, Pastor Wormbrand, you're going to the West. You can talk about God all you want now, but don't talk about what we did to you. Don't talk about how much you suffered. He got to the West and immediately began disobeying them and began to share not only what he had suffered, although he shared that extensively, but he shared about the people who were still there, the people who Mm. were still in those prisons, who were still suffering. And everywhere he went, Christians like you and I said, well, Pastor Wormbrand, we want to help those people. How do we do that? And so the Voice of the Martyrs was really founded to be the answer to that question. How do we free Christians, Christians in the United States, how do we help the people who are suffering for the name of Christ? And uh, the picture that I have in my mind for Voice of the Martyrs is a bridge. It's really a bridge between the church and the free world and the church and restricted nations. And, you know, a bridge goes both ways. Mm -hmm. We carry encouragement and we carry blessings into restricted nations, but we bring out the stories of their faithfulness and the stories of how God is using and growing the church Mm -hmm. in those countries. And so it really is a bridge that goes both directions. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget when I read Tortured for Christ, if if I recollect this correctly, the story about uh, the time that he was with some other prisoners, and they had a time of rejoicing because... In their in their gruel that they had, there was a shell of a bean I think that appeared, and <laughs> yeah. and the and they they celebrated together, and no one wanted to eat it, and deny another person. And then another midst. time, another time, uh, 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 Pastor Wormbrand was he was he was in solitary confinement there, and he said he remembered that it said that rejoice in persecution, and he went I haven't rejoiced in a long time, so we got up and started dancing, mm-hmm. and like like loudly yelling and praising the Lord, and one of the guards came in and said, Be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. I'll tell you what, I'll give you some bread and some cheese if you be quiet. <laughs> so they brought in some bread and cheese, and he hadn't seen the color white in like two years. Yeah. And he just was like blown away with the whiteness of the bread and stuff, and uh-huh. he actually saved it for a day uh, because he wanted to like make sure. And savor it. Yeah, like savor yeah. it. And there was something about, like, yeah. he wanted it to be like an offering to the Lord and stuff. Uh-huh. Like, just so powerful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why Reverend Wormbrand is one of the only people who could um, be able to give the message in the book that we're going to talk about today. Um, I really appreciate your coming today, um, Brother Todd, to discuss with us a lesser-known book 
by Reverend Warren Brand, which I believe has a special timely message for American Christians today. It has a very provocative title and a premise entitled, Jesus, Friend to Terrorists. Uh, it is primarily an appeal to those who engage in revolutionary violent terrorist activities for whatever political reason, whatever age, uh, to embrace the liberating message of Jesus Christ. What I'm interested in discussing today uh, is the indirect message I believe it offers to the American Christian community today, uh, who is immersed in a society facing some Islamic-associated terrorism activities, uh, and, and hence cultivating a culture of fear, and in some ways a near hatred of another religion and people groups in reaction, uh, similar to what occurred uh, here during the Cold War. Um, it, it, it comes from a Christian source, this author, uh, of impeccable credentials, obviously, in Reverend Warren Brand, and moral authority to de- deliver this difficult message, even if it is a message ultimately of love and compassion. Uh, now, I note on here, I, as I understand it, that this listed author on this book is a pseudonym, but I understand it's really what Reverend Wormbrand himself. Um, if I have that correct, that is he, correct. When did he write this book, and why did he write it? Well, it's interesting. The, the story behind the name is uh, when Pastor Wormbrand was taken to prison. One of the things they did is they took away his name, and they they didn't want people to ask questions about Richard Wormbrand. They didn't want to have records of him floating around. And so they called him Radu Valentin. That's the name they gave him when he went to prison. That's the author of Jesus Friend of Terrorists. So uh, it's a little bit, I think, a hearkening back to that. I think the other side of that is uh, simply, you know, Richard Wormbrand obviously is a well-known Christian author, a Christian mm-hmm. pastor and speaker. And so a terrorist might pick oh. up a book by Richard Wormbrand and say, well, you know, that guy's a Christian. I don't want to read that book. Uh, no one's ever heard of this Radu Valentin guy. Uh, so maybe the terrorist is more likely to open up the book and take a look at, at what he has to say. The history of the book is, is I'm not completely familiar with all of it, but uh, the copyright on the book is 1995, and if you look back in the history of VOM, one of the things that was going on in 1995 was uh, the Shining Path guerrillas in Peru. And this was sort of a uh, a Marxist guerrilla group, but it was right here in our hemisphere. And I think Pastor Wormbrand, who who would have been almost 90 by that point, I think he saw pretty clearly, hey, this is close to home for Americans. Maybe maybe they'll listen now. Maybe they'll hear this message more than when communists were all over in Russia. And, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't really our problem because it was 10,000 miles from here. Uh, you know, except for Cuba, but we've kind of blocked off Cuba, so we don't have right. to think about them anyway. Um, and I think I think that was a part of it. But uh, another part of it was simply uh, it's sort of the culmination of Pastor Wormbrand's message, which has always been love your enemies, mm-hmm. uh, love the people, even the people who are persecuting you. And you know, we you talked about some of the stories of him in prison, but there's there's another passage in one of his books where he says, you know, we were supposed to preach the gospel to the guards and to the people who were holding us. And so we would preach to them and they would beat us, and they were happy because they were beating us, and we were happy because we were allowed to preach to them, and so everyone was happy. And that's that love for the enemy, that love for the persecutors, was such a part of Richard's life and his character that I think this book is sort of the culmination of that, of, listen, 
even the terrorists we can love, even the people who are trying to inflict harm on us, we can exhibit, we can live out Christ's love, even for those people. Exactly. And, uh, wow. you know, <clears throat> he recognized that terrorism was real, uh, that it was going to be a main issue for us. But his solution is so different than what we hear in a lot of Christian circles, leadership media today. And that's why I, I really thought it was important to hear his message about this. Uh, according to the writing of, of Reverend Wormbrand in this book, uh, and there's some selected uh, uh, sections from this book, uh, from the text that I'd like to discuss one by one through the remainder of our discussion here, um, and, and his assertions he makes in it. According to him, why does he believe that we have recently passed from the age of fascism to the age of terrorism? Again, I think there is, he had a very clear understanding. Uh, one of the things that you need to understand about Richard is that he, uh, he understood the world. He understood several different languages. His wife understood something like 15 languages. Uh, they were both very well educated people. They read different languages. They kept track of what was going on in the world. And I think what Richard saw is sort of the fading of national power. Keep in mind, you know, this is 1995, uh, a few years after the Iron Curtain has fallen. And what he saw was we're moving from, from nation power or armies or uh, guns belonging to nations to ideological power, to uh, a philosophy that tries to gain power and uh, it you know a philosophy can go across national lines and so it's not as big a deal from nation to nation it's as big a deal as what you believe what people believe and how that groups them together and one of the things he understood very clearly is that everybody has something they believe strongly in and some people who are so passionate about it they're willing to die for what they believe in and his goal is to win those kind of people for the gospel because he knows they make great Christians. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's interesting. Our, our military has, this is so true what he says, that our military has completely reorganized itself, for the most part, for the age of terrorism versus the age of fascism, where instead of you know planning major tank battles across Europe, now they've completely made our rapid reaction forces with special operations forces and these kind of things really being the main thrust of our military because they have already agreed that that's really the age we're going in. And it is ironic you mentioned that these people are willing to die for what they believe in because even if you look at the communists in Russia, when, when like the, the Cuban Missile Standoff, ev evidently Khrushchev and his others were not willing to push things to the point of annihilating all of themselves as well as ourselves for this. There, there were limits to some extent. Maybe the first revolutionaries were different. But, but, but the, the, the age of terrorism that we have is very decentralized uh, in its particular activities. Now, of course, we have brought up the, the whole idea of state-sponsored terrorism, which is much more prevalent than what we'd like to admit in our, in our own country about that. But, but it is a little different dynamic. But it is. And one of the things, one of the challenges that our military is facing is how do you fight against somebody who actually wants to die? Right. I mean, they they want to be killed. That's the goal that they've set for themselves. How do you reason with them? How do you bargain with them? How do you negotiate? Uh, and, and that's one of the great things. And as you say, and, and as this book proves, Richard saw that, I think, maybe maybe 
five years or ten years ahead of everyone else. He saw that that was coming. And and ironically, our military, as great as it is, is not the solution for this enemy. Our, our military cannot solve that, like you say, when people are willing to die. All they can do is sort of help them die. Uh, the church is sitting on the answer, like the answer that we have in the pages of this very brief 95-page book he wrote. The church has an answer if they're willing to apply it. If they're willing to acknowledge and apply it, they have an answer to, to address this particular threat in, in a loving way to address people who, who want to take, take themselves out. And we're going to get into that in this discussion on what his strategy is. Um, he says, uh, of course, the name of the book is very provocative, Jesus, Friend of Terrorist. Why does he say that Christians should consider terrorists our friends? The connection that he makes is the connection to Christ himself. And and he says, you know, we are Christians. We're little Christs. We're supposed to pattern ourselves after the way Christ lived. The Bible says that Jesus was a friend to sinners, uh, that, you know, he he had relationship. He had conversation. He had fellowship with people who were not in the kingdom. They were not, uh, you know, living right. They were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. And yet... Jesus was their friend, uh, and that's the model that Pastor Wormrand says, listen, as Christians, that's what we're supposed to do. And so, by extension, because he's a friend of sinners, he's also a friend of terrorists. And, and as you know, the majority of the church would be shocked to hear this, and Reverend Wormbrand expected that. Uh, he says here, he says, I tell my fellow Christians that we should consider terrorists our friends. To the terrorists themselves who read this, I say... I am your friend and the friend of those who think like you. Uh, he further says, most Christians will disagree strongly, saying, we've never heard anything like this. Should we be the friends of murderers? So many were killed or wounded in the attack of the World Trade Center in New York, or killed in Peru, Egypt, Algeria, uh, Israel, India, on and on. Um, should we call them friends? Uh, and we're going to talk further about this. And In fact, he gives examples uh, thereafter in the Bible of the kind of terrorists that Jesus himself had as friends. Can, can, can you explain some some ways written in the pages of Scripture how Jesus dealt with terrorists in the Bible, such as uh, Judas and Simon the Zealot, for example? Well, there's two examples that Pastor Wormbrand gives. The first is Judas, and uh, he talks about the original Hebrew. And again, Pastor Wormbrand read Hebrew, and so he, he would know about this. But uh, apparently uh, there is a group that... You could have translated Iscariot, which right. is Judas Iscariot, uh, as being part of a group that called the Sikarim, which is men of the dagger. Mm -hmm. And so he's saying, you know, it is possible that Judas was a part of this group, which was an armed rebellion group. Uh, and yet Jesus invited him to be one of his disciples, invited him to be among his closest workers. The other one he points to is Simon the Zealot, and uh, the Zealots were a group of Jewish nationalists. They were committed to throwing off by force uh, the Romans who were ruling uh, Israel at that time. And so, and again, this is somebody that Jesus had in his inner circle, had in his in his close group of, of friends and followers. So Pastor Wormbrand is making the point, listen, if... If Jesus saw these people who were part of these rebellion groups, they were part of anti-government activity, if Jesus saw them and said, oh, I'm going to be friends with that guy, let's let's get him in, you know, let's have dinner with him, let's talk to him, let's 
uh, minister to him, then maybe that's the response that Christians now should have when we see somebody who maybe is is you know what we would call dangerous or somebody who is angry or someone who's opposed to the things that we stand for that doesn't mean that we can't love them and talk to them and have fellowship with them amen amen mm-hmm. you know in fact uh, i'm just thinking of other examples amongst the apostles what jesus seemed to do is take the the passions of people and redirect them in the direction for kingdom purposes like for example the fishermen that he called uh, he called them to be fishers of men. So he, he took people where they were at and, and actually directed them and to use it for positive aims. Exactly. What, one of the contacts that we work with in Colombia uh, is actually he ministers to Marxist FARC guerrillas in Colombia and has won wow. numerous guerrillas to Christ. But one of the statements that he sometimes makes, he says, you know, a racehorse can run just as fast in either direction. And so when you take these guys that feel so strongly that they're ready to die for their cause and you give them the gospel and they it takes hold in their life and they become followers of Christ, they feel that so strongly that they're ready to die for their cause, which is now Jesus Christ. And so you've taken the racehorse and you've turned him in the right direction and now he can run really, really fast. And so... That's something that Jesus saw. I think it's something that Pastor Wormbrand saw, and it's something that we see in the persecuted church today. Sometimes those persecutors, those passionate, angry people can get turned around by the gospel, and they become passionate, uh, willing-to-suffer servants of Christ who are doing amazing things in their countries. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom Bionic. The SNAP, I don't know how you spell that, the replacement middle name. S-N-A-P. Okay. <laughs> what did you think about our initial foray into this discussion? Uh, as, as you had commented earlier, he was just sort of the master of, like, the on-topic, on-point answer. Uh, I was really impressed. Our, our, our guest? Our guest, yeah. Brother Todd. Uh, I mean, Radu Valentin was, is also a good writer, but, uh, yeah, you know. Right. Um, A.K.A. Reverend Rembrandt. A.K.A. Uh, I, I overall thought this was... He could have used like Dr. Future Tom Bionic. I don't know why he didn't choose something like that for a name. I guess they assigned him that name. Yeah, so. well, I don't think that Dr. Yeah. Future doesn't translate well. Some of our listeners feel like they're in prison when they listen to us. Yeah. They should be assigned a name themselves. Yeah. But um, this whole concept about terrorists being our friends, doesn't that just totally smack the face of the general Christian culture that we have in our country? Pretty much. You know, I mean, was Jesus serious when he said, you know, love people and, you know, mm-hmm. everybody was your neighbor? You know, Is there own. something that you really have in common with these people? And if you don't, is there something wrong with you? Yeah. If you don't have the passion that they have to be willing to risk your life for what you believe, even though what they believe, we believe is wrong, you know, and violent means definitely aren't the purpose. But if you don't share that passion for them, then do you have a problem? Yeah, it's an interesting Interesting thought. If you don't, if you don't have that kind of passion to risk your life, then probably with you. It's very Pharisaical, really, when you think about it. It's like, look, you can come to the Lord, but it's on our terms. Exactly. You know, it's like yeah. Jesus' whole message to the Pharisees was, no, uh, excuse me, right. it's on my terms. Right. Somebody else on our terms is Murph. who can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information.
Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We're late. All right, sorry. Got to go. Come back tomorrow for the next segment. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, sort of a friend of terrorists, I think. Bionic. Mm-hmm. I hope people listen to the show to understand what you mean by yeah. that. Uh, because I'm sure it'll get taken out of context and used <laughs> against me. We live in a day and age, uh, in particularly in our American culture and Christian culture, where things like that, uh, without forethought. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, like I said, Pete, I'm sure somebody will take that out of context and use it against me at some future yeah. point. The reason why is because we're talking Reverend Wormbrandt's book this week, Jesus, Friend of Terrorist. Or Ral- Radu Valentin. That's right. And uh, with the representative... Uh, Director of Media Development for Voice of the Martyrs USA, Todd Nettleton. And we're talking this week about Reverend Wormbrand's appeal for Christian love for terrorists today. So uh, we're getting ready to start our second segment of our discussion of Reverend Wormbrand's shocking uh, uh, premises that he puts forward. That the way for us to address the terrorism problem is through an atmosphere of respect regarding the noble aspects of even the horrible aspects we see of terrorism. Mm-hmm. And address in the spirit of love and, and outreach. Yeah. And that could maybe be a solution in this world for the terrorist problem that we have. Could be. If we chose to do it. What kingdom are you from? Exactly. You know, there you go. Kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of this world. Yep. And we blame everybody else. We blame the certain political parties. Sure, we blame the like, military. We blame whoever it is for just, not dressing They're not us. really humans. They're just, uh, mm-hmm. I had somebody try to tell me he thought maybe they might have Nephilim blood in them. And yeah. that's why they were Muslims. <laughs> well, that would give a new reason to hate. You yeah, know. that's, well, that's we exactly need new, what he was justifying. It's yeah, new, new opportunities for it, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, here's our second segment with uh, Brother Todd Nettleton, and then we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. You know, uh, there's this gentleman by the name of Paul that comes to mind. Yeah, uh, he does come to mind, doesn't he? Who probably <laughs> was uh, viewed as a terrorist by the early church yeah. uh, when he came in and did his work, and uh, he, he suffered. You know, he yeah. said he was called to suffer, but he suffered well. I'm sure you guys have seen that email that floats around every once in a while about Paul, where they list his achievements mm-hmm. after he came to the Lord in the form of a resume. Thrown in jail. Yeah. Whipped, beaten, scourged. Right. Thrown in the water. You know. Right. Nobody, well, even yeah. uh, right after he gets uh, saved in the book of Acts, there's that statement, I will show him what he will have to suffer, mm-hmm. right. uh, that God says sake, about yeah. Paul. Right. And then, uh, I believe it's within two chapters or even less, there's two different groups that are trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, again, you go back to the often preached American gospel of uh, come to Jesus and everything in your life is going to get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the gospel that was preached to Paul is, I will show him what he will have to suffer. And it's, as you say, it is not a comfortable gospel for the average American Christian. Yeah, something about taking up a cross. 
you know, terrorists in, in their own kind of way take up a type of cross for their cause uh, for very little reward compared to what we're offered in Christ. Uh, you know, our Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but they take up their cross for much, much less and are more than more than willing to pay it. So I think that's a message for us. Um, what are uh, examples where the intentions of terrorists are not always bad? That's another controversial uh, point that, that uh, he makes in the book. W- what are such examples where he gives regard, Reverend Wormbrand, to their intentions? Well, let's let's talk about Paul, since we've just been talking about him. And, you know, this is Paul standing by at the stoning of Stephen. And what is going on in his mind? You know, obviously we don't know, but he thinks he's serving God. This is somebody who is challenging God, who is, is against the true teaching that Paul had heard all his life. And so now he's being stoned. He's getting the just punishment for his actions. Paul stands there thinking, this is a godly thing to do. This is what should happen to people who challenge God. Hmm. Come you know, forward 2,000 years and think about the Islamic terrorists who think, if I die in the cause of Allah, that's the highest achievement I can have for my life. I instantly go into paradise and he welcomes me there. They believe that they are doing uh, God's will. They believe that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I think that's one of the things Pastor Wormbrand brings out in his book, is it's not about telling them they're wrong so much as it is presenting them with what's right and allowing them to grab a hold of it, allowing them to hear the gospel, uh, to change direction, and to be able to, to really do what's important. And, you know, one of the things that that hurts my heart uh, and we you know we're talking about terrorism we're talking about islam um, is the muslims who are devout in their faith who pray five times a day they give alms to the poor they go to mecca and those folks are someday going to die and they're going to stand before god and they're going to say i did everything i was supposed to do mm-hmm. i prayed five times a day i went to mecca i gave alms to the poor I'm in. I did everything I was supposed to do. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And I that that hurts me. I hurt for those people because they really do believe they're doing what's expected. They really believe they're doing what they're mm-hmm. supposed to be doing. Right. And it is going to be a terrible wake-up call on Judgment Day. And I think, you know, for us uh, who know the truth, who have the gospel... We have to go and tell them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to go and share. You, you're trying hard, but you're on the wrong path. Uh, let me tell you the truth, because they are willing and they want to please God. I have, right. I have talked to, uh, I remember one lady in particular, a Christian, now a Christian from Iran, who was in the Islamic training system there. She was at the highest level and you know, if anybody knew about Islam, she was it. And she said, I never felt peace. I never felt God's approval. I never arrived. I never felt like I had done everything I was supposed to do. And there are millions and millions of people who are in that boat. And we have the truth. And we sim- we have to go. We have to share it with them. 
Well, we're too busy being afraid of them and hating them mm-hmm. to go in mass and to show that kind of regard. Uh, you, you know, we we call them common and unclean, while God is dealing oh, with these people yeah. and saying uh, these people are giving alms to the poor and they fear God. Uh, I can't help but think of the story of Cornelius. You, you know, I I can only rest on the hope that when Jesus said that he who seeks finds. That those within Islam, and as I understand from some missionaries embedded and others, that there is a spectrum within people in Islamic countries, just like here in Christianity, of, the, of people who give lip service, the people who, you know, go through the motions and behind closed doors, they open the liquor cabinet and they do their own thing against Islam. They wink at it. And then there is the subset that are the truly devout. Uh, there's also, a, you know, another arm of the, of the militant, uh, which... Christianity has its militant arms, too, as well, unfortunately, our jihadist. But there's a group that are truly devout. And I can only hope and pray that those who are the true seekers in there that want to see God, that God will make provision in the same way he did with Cornelius. Who And, who, and who, one of the things that's happening across the Middle East, and if, if you study, if you talk to anyone who's active with the church in the Middle East, it won't take very long before you hear stories of dreams and visions of God appearing right. to people, of Christ coming to them personally. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think you're exactly on the, on the mark, and I think that's happening. I think God is going where his people are refusing to go or, or haven't gone yet, and he's, he's ministering directly, and he's sharing the gospel directly. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the most phenomenal stories I ever heard is a, is a person in Iran who came forward with a handwritten book that turned out to be word for word the Gospel of John. And they met up with a Christian, they showed them this book that they had written out, and the, and the Christian is like, well, you know, wh- where did you get this? Well, the man came to me at night and he told me to write it down. And and I uh, word for word the entire Gospel of John had been dictated to them by a man in a white robe who came to them at night. And, you know, how amazing is that, that God is going and he is ministering to these people directly. And as you say, Mm -hmm. there are many Muslims who are seeking and want to do what's expected. They want to do what God wants them to do. And praise the Lord that he is reaching them and uh, praise the Lord that he is calling many to go and to share the message there. And it's because he loves every one of them. He loves them. He does not fear them. He loves and cares about them. And he's looking for children who will come where the fields are white into harvest and will reflect him. Uh, Reverend Wormbrand's message to go to these people and say, I respect you. I respect your submission to God. I respect the fact that you will go five times a day and, and pray and, and pursue what you understand to be God. I have good news to give you. You, you want to please God? I, I can tell you, your sins can be forgiven. You, you can see God one day. You can have God as your Father. And and for those who will receive that message, they, they need to receive it. But but I'm afraid our observations have been a lot of the Christian leadership in America Let's has been so it. consumed with fanning the flames of fear and hatred for these people and glorifying you know perpetual military solutions that we're missing out of being able to participate in many of those blessings. There, there's two extremes. The, the one extreme is 
we need to fear and, and hate these people because they're so wrong and they're so evil and we need to stay away from them. The other extreme is, well, we all worship the same God, so we're all going to be fine in the end. Right, uh, right. The middle road, and and Pastor Wormbrand talks about it in the book, is, is love. We love you. We don't want to see you go to hell. And so because of our love, that's why we've come with the gospel. And it does come out of a a sense of cultural understanding. It does come out of a sense of respect. He refers to the story in the book of, of Paul mm-hmm. uh, being, I believe it's in Rome, but it might have been Athens. And, and he stands up and says, I see that you're very religious. I see even right. this altar to the unknown God. Well, here I am, and I'm going to tell you about that God. I'm going to tell you who that is. And, you know, starting out with an, in, a, a mention of respect, I see that you're very religious, Coming to their culture, I see that you have this idol for an unknown God, and then coming into the gospel, let me tell you who that is. Brother Todd, uh, you mean he didn't refer to them as uh, pantheo-fascist? That was the term <laughs> he used for them? He didn't try and drive a tank over them or bomb them? That's yeah. not in my translation, but I, yeah. I might have one of the non-correct yeah. translations. He one of those conservative he, Bibles. He didn't figure by calling them names like that 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 would help him be able to take the gospel to them? Rather than than say, I have good news for you. You, there, you have great knowledge and you have great devotion. However, like all of us, you have some ignorance of something, this unknown God. And I have good news for you. God loves you enough and respects what you did to, to give you the missing information you're seeking. And here it is. Uh, and at that point, whether the fruit is accepted or not, that, that's God's task, not ours. Right. But, but as God has taught... There's different kinds of soil, and some of the soil is, is fertile soil. And when you spread that seed out, you don't know where it's going to fall, but it says in the fertile soil, when they hear the word, they receive it gladly. And and I can only believe that amongst the people of these faith, including maybe even some terrorists, that when they hear the word, if they're truly devout in God, and when they hear the word correctly, they will receive it gladly as a sign that their devotion is real, and when they hear the true word of God, the Holy Spirit has a means by which to share that with them. But we've got to share it with these people, and we can't do it and hate people at the same time. If you don't mind, I'd just like to read a few words here, because his words are so provocative, only he could get away with saying these things. He says, I believe it is totally wrong to consider anyone totally wrong. He says, Jesus, referring to those who would persecute believers down through the ages, said, Those who kill you will believe they are serving God. Many inquisitors of different confessions, Catholics, by the way, were not the only ones to use inquisitorial methods against believers with whom they differed. They adored the Savior and intended to please him with their acts. Jesus makes a difference between the why and the what of a person's actions. Some persecute Christians because they erroneously believe that Christians are wrong. And then he talks about your examples about Saul and Stephen. And he says that today's terrorists are convinced that they serve well their nation, their religion, their race, or party. We may wholeheartedly agree with them that one should do his utmost in the service of these entities. Thus, we have a point of contact. Now, um, something, something he refers to here. Do, do Christians have a lock on all knowledge in our current state of being? And what should our attitude with others really be? Well, the verse that comes to mind is the verse about seeing through a glass darkly. Uh, and, you know, now we know some of it. Later on, we'll know the rest of it. And I think 
I think one of the places we get into trouble is when we say, well, I've got it all figured out, and, and let me tell you the truth of God, uh, because I know it and you don't. Um, now, I, I believe there are some bedrock principles that are true and that must be acknowledged, um, but I think anytime anybody says, this is the one and only way that you can honor Jesus and that you can live your life. That always makes me a little nervous uh, and makes me wonder how they figured it out in, in a way that no one else ever has figured it out, and, and are they sure they're right? Us, too. We feel the same way. Uh, and in fact, are you kidding? I have no faults. <laughs> yeah, I always trust everything Tom says, yeah, except that, that's when important. he opens his Somebody mouth. write that down. Uh, let, let me just see how. Let me just say how Reverend Wormbrand phrases it. He says, uh, "Knowing that every point of view is a point of blindness, because it incapacitates it incapacitates one for every other point of view. We should keep an open mind, even with those with whom we disagree. All of us, Christian and non-Christian alike, only know in part. Therefore, we can't speak to one another condescendingly, as the wise to the ignorant." So we ask you to recognize your own limitations, as we do ours, and listen to a voice different from what you are accustomed to hearing. Now, that, 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 what he just said there could be very controversial to a lot of Christians. I want to remind you, this is a gentleman, like you said, who spent three years in prison alone with God, with no other kind of sensory involvement, just alone in meditation with God, staying faithful to his faith. Many, many years, the stripes on his back show a special knowledge and understanding he has of, of service to the Lord. Uh, a point I didn't want to miss, we were talking about Paul a little bit and his technique. Uh, he also says, he says, in differences between men, it is good to stress the points that unite them. When Christians confront the thinking of those with other convictions, they should not always ask themselves first, what separates me from the other man? But in what ways are we in agreement? Now, isn't that a, a, something good to know, not only if we talk with someone as extreme as a different religion or belief, but even amongst different Christians who have different convictions about certain matters of the faith? I think it's a great thing to know, and I think it's a great, a great thing to understand. I don't, I don't know if I'll get in trouble for quoting Bono on this show, but <laughs> uh, you know, Bono says if we agree on one thing, that's one thing we can work together on. <laughs> and let's work together on that one thing that we agree on. And who knows, we may find that we agree on two things. And I think there is, there's some truth there of let's focus first on, on where we can find agreement. That gives us sort of a frame of reference. It gives us a little bit of mutual respect. And then we can, out of that respect and out of that agreement, we can talk about the things we disagree on. And, uh, you know, again, there are, there is truth and there is lies and, and it is sure. a Christian's role to stand up for truth. But we don't necessarily, you don't, you don't have to get right in someone's face and say, that's a lie, uh, in order to not agree with them. You can say, well, that's an interesting point of view and then share truth, uh, but do it again in a respectful way. And, uh, I think, I think there's a lot that Pastor Wormbrand says here that, uh, we need more of in in the church in America that is seen as uh, hating people. It's seen as uh, holier than thou and judgmental. Uh, we need a little bit of this uh, humbleness, humility as we as we talk to people and as we represent mm -hmm. Christ. 
Amen, brother. Uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, when I think about Jesus, you know, even dealing with the woman in the well, he had issues with what she did, but his emphasis was, I, I, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. And, uh, we, we, we've been given a task. It's a very clear task to make disciples, uh, of people throughout the world. And, and it's very hard to continuously insult people while at the same time trying to compel them to become disciples. Mm-hmm. And to share in the joy that you have in Christ while you're yelling at them, that joy doesn't seem very very appealing. Yes. Uh, please, nor please come be like me. I'm very angry. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 yes. And also, I love you so much, but I hate everything about you. <laughs> and, and why, you know, uh, a little bit. <laughs> if if you if you look in the email that that I get from the different Christian ministries that continuously come in uh, unrequested through my email box about the constant fear and the old wives' tales that are told. You know, you mention about, uh, or he was mentioning about what, see what we have in common. And, and some of the things that, that are totally debunked by missionaries that we have in the Middle East on our show, but some of the things about, Islam or Muslims or their practice or whatever. And believe me, don't get us wrong. We're not saying that they have a saving faith in Christ. What they do with Jesus is obviously critically important. I'm sure somebody will take that out of context, though. But but some of the things that, that are, are, are said in these emails are, are, are just old wives' tales that you would laugh in any other kind of context of what they're done. If you ever have a time to go meet people of these different beliefs and really ask them where their convictions lie, you will find some things of agreement that you can then work from. Uh, we, we had a gentleman, Carl Medeiros, who came on here, who uh, was dealing with some people from Hezbollah who wanted to pray with him. You know, they'd been studying the Bible. And and he says, he asked, what do you believe about uh, Jesus? And he said, we believe he's a great prophet. And he says, well, then let's ask him to prophesy to us then about who he is. And it provided him an opportunity to open a door to talk about Jesus and to focus on that, but it was from a whole atmosphere of mutual respect, and that's that's the message that you know that I that I get from his book. And uh, one of the things that that Muslims respect is somebody who owns their faith and will stand up for it. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you go and say, "Well, I believe this, but you're probably right too, and I'm probably right, and we're all right," they think this person doesn't even know what they believe. They right. don't believe anything. If you come forward and say, I understand that you're a Muslim and I respect that, but I'm a Christian and I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to find fellowship with God, then they say, oh, well, why do you believe that? Oh, okay. So let's talk about that. Let's have conversation. And I think there's a lot of opinion in America that if I stand up and and firmly state what I believe, well, that's going to be offensive to people and that's going to put them off. In a Muslim culture... Most of the countries that are heavily Muslim, having a conversation one-on-one about religion is as natural for them as as sitting around the table eating dinner. Uh, They do that all the time. They love to talk about religion. Again, one-on-one, in conversation, out of relationship. You Mm -hmm. stand up on a street corner and start preaching to the masses, you're probably going to have some problems. But Mm -hmm. in those conversations that grow out of relationship where you can talk about, well, this is what I believe. Well, let's look at what Jesus said. You say he's a prophet. Here's what he said. You know, how do you balance those? And those conversations can be great seed planting. They can be great times of harvest. And most Americans... If you just ask them, they would say, no, that would be terribly offensive. No, it's not offensive to represent Christ well. 
but you start from an atmosphere of respect. You know, we could talk all day about what Islamic people are and how they are, but if you don't know a single one of them, you speak out of tremendous ignorance. Yeah. And most American Christians have not taken the effort to go down to a university or gone somewhere to meet people of other faiths to actually see for themselves what these people are like. So they have a caricature. And unfortunately, the same thing occurs in the Islamic community. They have been told a lot of foolish stories on their end as well around Christianity. You know, they're still thinking about the Crusades. Uh, of course, they see armies invading their land and where their holy sites are. And I have to say, I can understand. You see an army coming in around uh, where your country is and things that are sacred to you. You're, you're going to have a chip on your shoulder, and it's going to take a lot of work to build bridges back to these people. But it can be done. And our missionary says it can be done. But recognize people, have, they have gotten bad information about us uh, or, or old, obsolete information as well as we have. And like you say, when you establish personal relationships and you clear the decks and clear the air of this kind of thing, you will find more in common to work from. It's not overnight, and you have to you have to build a status. But people who are truly devout to God, God can do amazing things. Uh, the Holy Spirit can through that. Um, should we also remember, as the Reverend Wormbrand says, uh, that terrorists are also willing to endure great personal sacrifice for a cause they believe in and at least respect them for that? I think there's a natural human quality that when we see someone who is, is really passionate about something and is willing to pay a price for it, we admire that and we respect that. I, you know, I think of the Olympic athletes that you know, practice for hours and hours every day for four years to make it to the next Olympics. And we look at that and we say, wow, that that's really amazing. That that commitment level is amazing. And it's the same with, you know, the people who are willing to die for their cause, the people who say, this is so important that I'm willing to give up my time and I'm willing to even give up my life. There is a natural sense of that you know, that impresses us. We think, wow, they're really a passionate person. They're really committed. Now, you know, you can be committed completely to something that's completely wrong. Sure. Uh, but that level of commitment is something that, that I think naturally we do say uh, we're impressed by that, and, and we sort of admire that. And we can build a bridge with that, just like Paul did with the Athenians, saying that they are very religious people and admiring their desire to understand the deeper things of life. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, hopefully he's Paul and not Saul. Bionic. Amen. I think you are, brother. I th- Depends I th- on who you talk to. I, I think uh, you're definitely in that thing. You know, there was a lot of provocative information we covered here that came from uh, Reverend Wormbrand, as Todd was sharing with us. Um, I think this whole idea about how we should seek points that unite us mm-hmm. with whom those we differ, uh, particularly different religious beliefs like Paul did, wouldn't that alone have an enormous impact in the American Christian community? Yeah. Rather than fostering giving, right, all you know, this fear and the paranoia, right hand, the friendship and all that stuff. Even if you don't have, don't see eye to eye on certain things. Well, l- let's talk some Muslims and see what we have in common. Yeah, they may reject it. They yep. may reject. Jesus was rejected, but yeah, yet you that's know. one of the things I don't get when I talk with certain people. Uh, I try to always find the common ground and right. then move from there. And some people just they don't want to find the common ground. Right. Well, all right. Fine. Well, someone else we can find is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com 
suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We have to go. All right. Come back for our third segment tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And Tom Bionic. Yeah, that's my old Tom Bionic there. Yeah. We're talking this week with Todd Nettleton, the Director of Media Development for Voice of the Martyrs USA Ministry. Mm-hmm. And we're discussing the topic of Reverend Warbrand's appeal for Christian love for terrorists today. And we're talking about his book that's still available and in print called Jesus, Friend to Terrorist. Mm-hmm. A slim 95-page book. That will knock the church on its ear if it chooses to choose to read em- it, embrace it, open it, open the and do it. Pages. Do what it says. Uh, that's that's what we really need mm-hmm. is our church to take it to heart. People and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That well, I'm asking a lot. looking forward to hearing what our listeners have to say. I think we may be preaching a choir a little bit here, but some of you who are driving down Nashville traffic and happen to tune us on the car radio and you never heard this kind of crazy thing about loving terrorists or Jesus being a friend of terrorists. Listen to what's talked about in this interview. You might be surprised what you find out. So here is Todd Nettleton in our third segment, and then we'll be right back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. So, something that uh, that he says here in the book that may cause some people to rent their clothes in the Christian community. He says, we agree with terrorists in their readiness to sacrifice themselves for the highest cause they know. The Latins had a proverb, uh, it is sweet and beautiful to die for the fatherland. The same thing can be said of other high ideals. Let us never think about terrorists as just killers, ignoring the fact that they are also ready to suffer in jail and even to die for the cause they serve. We are united with them in hatred for unjust structures. Um, Unfortunately, Reverend Rembrandt is mostly saying that of himself because I don't know if all the American church would agree. Uh, they have hatred for unjust structures, but we should. Mm-hmm. Okay, it, it, He says it further, it is wrong for one nation to oppress another. Those who fight against this are right. It is wrong for privileged nations, races, or classes to exist at the expense of others. It is wrong to be a dictator and amass great wealth while others suffer. It is also wrong to slaughter embryos indiscriminately. Terror against unborn children and the killing of abortionists are also wrong. So he stepped on a whole lot of toes in the American Christian culture in that paragraph. Um, yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those dictators he's talking about and other people are are our guys. They're they're the guys who are friendly to our nation uh, and serve either our economic interests or things like that. Uh, he, he's starting to sound like a little bit of some of those. Uh, you know, rebel extremist revolutionaries in that paragraph. Well, he is, and one of the things that uh, that frustrates our cause is when we say out of one side of our mouth, "You should not do this. Uh, this is terrible. You shouldn't take advantage of those people." 
And then on the other side of our mouth, we say good job to the guys we like who are doing exactly that. And so uh, Richard is saying, look, the terrorists are opposed to these things that we should be opposed to, too. That's an area where we agree. Let's let's start there. Let's start with something we agree on, and then we'll talk about the things we don't agree on. The sad thing is, and, and as you said, as we started into this section of our conversation, a lot of Christians aren't aren't sure they agree. <laughs> They're not sure where they stand on that, or they've never taken a stand, or they've never even thought about it. Right. And so, uh, you know, and again, the the hypocrisy that reigns of well, it's bad if you do it, but it's okay if I do it, is is something that that doesn't represent Christ well, and it's something that we really need to address and we need to work on within our churches. Well, I, I know you don't know us you know, very well. Our listeners who've been with us for years understand, and I don't want to put words in uh, Brother Tom's mouth here, but you know, we, we've come from what you would consider a very conservative-type evangelical background, and particularly myself, very much your standard buckle of the Bible belt kind of worldview and belief about things, whether it's political or other you know, geopolitics and things like this. But through the process of the years of doing our show, we've come to be convicted about a huge blind spot that those of us have had, and I'll speak particularly of myself, in some of these matters because we thought it was one of them liberal things to be concerned about or something that was a bad (laughs) thing to deal with, the fact that people would exploit other people or that uh, why does everybody hate us in America? You know, when we're so nice to them, we give them those cholera-filled blankets and equivalents. I wasn't even world. a Christian six years ago, so I mean, like, you want to talk about shifts in worldview. Yeah, and I don't want to lay that on your feet, Brother Tom. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really confessing myself here that some of these matters were the furthest thing from my mind to be concerned about. Uh, and, and I tell you something that's verbatim in, in Christian media is to start asking the question, why are these people terrorists? Because they hate freedom. Why, why do they feel the need because they to hate stand freedom. up? That's uh, all you need to know. We, you know, the, the thing that fills airwaves, and I don't mean to implicate this in you, Brother Todd, you could just be quiet and let me rant here, but, uh, we hear, we've heard so much the last few years about the Iranian menace and how they've all been out to get us and want to destroy all of us. And I, I have yet to hear a story on Christian media about their, uh, their democratically elected leader Mosaddegh in the 1950s, who, uh, was trying to get back some of the oil wells that had been taken from them by the British and Americans. And then we initiated terrorism ourselves, where we actually were blowing up mosques and causing sectarian violence. Uh, what was it, Operation Ajax, I believe, under uh, Kermit Roosevelt? I think Operation Ajax yeah. was a different one, but Kermit well, Roosevelt was, was in. Yeah, it was and, in on it. And it, doing our own, our own terrorism mm-hmm. to take away their democratically elected leader and put the Shah in. And then we find out, in, like we're in a vacuum, here we come, 1979, and we find these people are unhappy with us, and we can't understand why we were so good to them. Why Why would we have terrorism? So I, to me, I'm thinking, I don't mean to read in between the lines of Reverend Wormbrand, but I think he understands some of this stuff. I think he thinks things are maybe a little more complicated than black and white in the way we like to see the world. Exactly. And I think one of the things Pastor Wormbrand talked about, not in this book, but in some of his other writings and in some of his conversations, he would talk about the Eastern mindset and the Western mindset. And uh, he sort of had one foot in both worlds. And so he saw uh, pretty clearly the blind spots of both, the blind spots of both sides of that coin. And as you say, we we in the West have our share of blind spots, and um, we need to address them. And, and we need to address them 
for you know national priorities, but also we need to address them so that we can represent Christ well in amongst people who come from the other mindset, who mm-hmm. who maybe see America as the aggressor. Uh, let's how do we share the gospel with them? How do we talk to them? Because in their mind, America is a Christian nation. And so anything America does, anything sure. George Bush or President Obama does, that's that's what Christians do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when when like somebody Ab- goes in Abu Ghraib, like Abu Ghraib, for example, that's exactly. Christian America doing that. That's Christians abusing Muslims. Now, you know, you and I know that there's <laughs> there's a little difference, um, but the reality on the street in the Muslim world is America. If you see it in a movie. Well, it's from America. That's what Christians do. And if you, if it happens, if it's on the news, American soldiers do it. Well, they're Christians because they're from America. And so we kind of have to overcome that and work hard to present a true gospel that says Jesus loves you and we come loving you too because his love is, is coming through us. And we reject the harm that has been done to you. That's the one thing. If we could actually acknowledge and say, we haven't been perfect ourselves. We endear ourselves and have a measure of respect from them that maybe we can then share the gospel if, if we're willing to admit that. I know that's you know sensitive information, but uh, we need to acknowledge that many of their grievances are legitimate. And that is something that you will not hear in Christian radio is that acknowledgement. And I think it impedes sharing the gospel. Uh, with these with these people in many cases, we have documented this over and over again on our show, and not that we get a lot of fun out of airing dirty laundry about america that 's not the point. The point is when you understand these things, you begin to empathize with people, and when you have empathy you 're on the road to loving people, and then you can be effective in sharing the gospel with people mm-hmm. and that 's why I wish uh, that, that Christian media would not just try to play it safe all the time and try to stay in the good graces of certain political parties or other powerful figures and, and, and would would you know acknowledge these kind of things for the sake of the gospel, for the sake that the gospel could proceed forward like this. You know, if Reverend Wormbrand was still alive today, I, I would love to take him around to some of the other people that are responsible for the stripes on his back. And that includes people like... Uh, um, you know Goldman Sachs and and some of these other ones like uh, oh uh, Smith well, not Smith Barney but um, who who was the great banker help me out here uh, Morgan yeah Morgan Chase Morgan Chase who who paid for a lot of the the Bolshevik revolution who actually sent these guys over there and bankrolled them for these kind of activities you know the more we uncover these kind of things the more we find multiple handprints that have resulted in the persecution mm-hmm. of even Christians much less other people. And so, uh, you know, I, I think we just have to start leveling with people and becoming honest for us to be effective. And, and I applaud Reverend Wormbrand because he can get away with it. He can actually say these kind of things, and, uh, you know, his stripes provide some cover for him in the, in the Christian community. Um, judging from history, have wars of terrorism ever really achieved their objectives and the goals their per- perpetrators originally envisioned? Uh, and, and, and even in our case, were there acts of rebellion and like the War of Independence and Civil War really necessary in that regard? Well, Pastor Wormbrand suggests no, they weren't. And in fact, uh, one of the things he points out is look at the rest of the British Empire that, that didn't have a war for independence and, and they're all independent now. Uh, and so, you know, in his, in his thinking and in, in the way he, 
uh, says it in the book is, you know, maybe that wasn't necessary. And one of the things he points out is that the wars of terrorism and terrorism activities, typically there's a lot of collateral damage. There, There's unintended consequences that come about because you have people even even pursuing just ends uh, through violent means, you you end up with with trouble. You end up with problems that you didn't foresee happening. And so uh, that's again one of his main thrusts of the book is we need to present the gospel to these people so that they will have the right goals and will understand the right means to achieve the goals, and so they can really accomplish things that are. Uh, good with without having all the damage that that they can cause as terrorists. Now, you know, this point was primarily directed to the terrorists themselves, which the whole book's addressed to. But but it comes across as a sympathetic comment to them, with the with the goal of trying to help them accomplish the goals they originally want to accomplish, and not waste their time in dissipative activities. So so even though this may be a bitter pill for someone who engages in violent revolutionary activity. When he hears that, he's trying to save them the disappointment they will find when things don't turn out with the utopia that they hope and envision based upon history. And so his tone comes across as one trying to be helpful to them to find more successful channels for them to do it. And I think this is a message for even America today because we even have seeds of rebellion like this that are growing today. And many of them can be understandable and sympathetic. We have young people in mass who are, they recognize that the materialistic culture that we've had in America and in the West is, is unfulfilling and has been exploitative of others, and they're rejecting that. They want something else. We talked last week with Pastor Joe Schimmel about the movies that we have, like The Matrix and others that are pushing a Gnostic worldview of V for Vendetta and others that are embracing rebellion, but they're putting organized religion, they're putting everything in that same box, and, and, and they're not providing them something that are going to give people the utopia they think they're going to get. And so even young people today are catching this fever. They want to fight the New World Order. They want to fight what we call the Revelation 18, kings of earth and merchants of the earth, and their work to, to deceive the nations of the earth. But they don't understand fully what they're doing from a biblical standpoint, and they're going to be very, very disappointed when they're fighting an enemy without anything substantive to replace it with. So I think this message is even validated. We have political movements today that want to take America back. But they don't necessarily know exactly what they want to take it back to or what they're taking it from or what it was originally. There's so much confusion. And that's why I think this message is valid for us as well, is that many times it's very foggy for us if we don't have a good firm understanding of of the reality of the kingdom of of heaven and of the Bible on, on what really matters in these kind of things and how are things going to play out and what is a realistic view of how life on this fallen earth is going to be. Um, the most important point, uh, I think, in the book, uh, that I think is one worthy of a lot of meditation for, for our listeners and everyone, is, is his point where, where he says, how is it that even terrorists exhibit some love in their life, and, and, and what they really need to do, what they're really missing, is the capability to enlarge their love. This sounds so foreign to our ears. From what we've heard, what was his point with the fact of acknowledging the love that they do have in their life and how the real need for their need is to enlarge the love? Well, he is. what he's pointing out is that they do love something. 
perhaps it's their family, perhaps it's the cause that they're fighting for, or it's their dream of, of what reality is going to be after their side has victory and, and takes control, but they love something. And so his point is that if we can connect with that love and expand it or allow God to expand it, we can change them. They can be changed from the inside out because they have already shown that they can love something passionately, enough to serve, enough to suffer. And so if we can allow God to get into their heart to expand that love and to point them in the right direction, they can be great servants for the kingdom. They can be great uh, missionaries and ministers because they have that love. And I think uh, I think the other side of that coin is because they have seen the darkness that's out there. Mm-hmm. And I think once you have seen the darkness and the hopelessness, when you come into the light and you come into the hope, you want to carry it back. You want to, to go back to those friends and comrades and say, I know where you are now because I used to be there. Let me tell you where I am. Let me tell you about the hope that I have. Let me tell you about the light that I found. That that can be such an incredibly powerful witness for Christ. And, you know, we see that today in the Muslim world. We see it today in North Korea where uh, so many people who go out of North Korea and find Christ, even though they're safer and freer where they're at, they choose to go back to North Korea because they say, listen, my family is still there. My friends are still there. I have to go back and share this with them. I have to mm-hmm. give them a chance to experience this hope that I found because I know how hopeless they are. That's what Pastor Wormbrand is bringing out is that, yes, these people who we call terrorists have love of something. We need to allow them to get the love of God into their lives that will change them from the inside out. It, what I'm understanding him saying is you can structure the dialogue to be totally on the subject of love. The subject of love and the nature and the breadth of it is a dialogue in which you can establish a bridge with these people. Uh, if, if I could just share a few of his words here, he says, he says, terrorists are idealists, usually with beautiful concepts of liberty, justice, a readiness for self-sacrifice, a willingness to go to the uttermost in the service of what they consider a worthy cause, and also loyalty, measured by severe punishment they meet out to disloyal comrades. It says, uh, even tigers and men, even at the worst, have some love, however instinctive or misguided, for their young. There, There is uh, love in the world, but it needs to be enlarged to embrace wider spheres and to be channeled toward better causes. Wolves kill men. Dogs defend men to the death. Yet both wolves and dogs have common ancestors. Uh, what What would you think if we had some of our most prominent Christian leaders in America went over in a delegation and went and met with Hezbollah and Hamas and Shining Path or whoever these other kind of people would be, uh, particularly in the Islamic world, and said, let's have a talk about love and how we can widen our love to a wider circle and take the passions that you have, the passions that we have, and start look at widening this love. What do you think would happen if we started changing the dialogue? Uh, would there be some kind of bridges that might at least temporarily end up in a little bit more peaceful world? I think two things would possibly happen. I think one is the possibility of bridges being built. Uh, and, and, you know, dialogue and conversation and fellowship 
and and finding areas where we can agree and where we can work together. I think the other possibility, though, is that it will become evident pretty quickly who wants to have dialogue and who wants to get along and who right. doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and, and it will show, uh, you know, it won't take very long to show who's really serious about dialogue and peace and who's really not serious about it. Right. And actually, may like the fact that there's disagreement and and violence. So well, that's and, well said. And I've heard yeah. of pastors, uh, literally, who have done this, who have gone. Yeah. Uh, in one case, I know of a pastor who went to an Islamic center. They had a dialogue. They had conversation. This pastor apologized uh, for what had happened for the, during the Crusades. Yeah. Said, you know, that was a misrepresentation of our relationship with Christ, and I'm sorry that that happened. Mm-hmm. And when it came time, he, you know, presented the God, the the fact that in Muslim countries today, Christians are are being persecuted, they're being killed because mm-hmm. of what they believe, and the Islamic leader declined to apologize or even speak against what was yeah. going on in Muslim countries, yeah. and so. You know, yes, there can be dialogue and there can be conversation, but the other thing that happens is it, is the truth becomes evident pretty quickly of who's there to dialogue, who's there for peace, and who's there not wanting peace. I think that's well said, and mm. I fully acknowledge what you what you say. Uh, and, and I think part of the reason why is that whether you're looking at major nation states or you're looking at America or Israel or if you go in Hamas, Hezbollah, or any of these other places in between, China, whatever, you have many times, I think, we found sort of a ruling class of elite that are mostly self-centered. And these people got to leadership usually for a reason. It's because they put their own personal ambition above even their own people. And and ironically, that's something that probably unites us, people in the West and people in these other areas, is that we've all suffered by greedy leadership on all our sides. Uh, and the common average person on the street has suffered in, in various places have been, uh, that they fan the fires of hatred and things like this. And so I, I understand what you're saying. A lot of these leaders, uh, they're so sly with their own agendas that they'll do things not even for the best interest for their people. But it's certainly a, a, a way to show this is our heart. This is our commitment. And for you person out on the street, we are coming out of love. And we respect out of love, and we would like to stop the violence. All I'm, I'm not saying that people in mass would turn to Christ automatically for it, but who, who knows what the Lord may do. But, but that at least maybe it could help our reputation somewhat to help curb some of the violence if, if we had a little bit of a change of attitude in how we approach some of these kind of things. There, you know, there's certainly very sly leaders, like I said, that will try to use it to show our weakness or whatever. Communism certainly did that. They'd like to try to exploit your weakness and these kind of things like this. But, uh, you know, we, we serve the cause of Christ regardless of what the outcome is. You do what your conscience tells you to do, mm-hmm. and then the outcomes are up to the Lord on what happens. So um, I'm not trying to read too much into what Reverend Wormbrand says, but this whole thing about enlarging your love has really resonated with me as a means. And maybe maybe it just works on a one-on-one basis with individuals that you talk to. But if you go from from, from this commonality of love and how do we channel our love in a way that's best for everybody I think we'd be surprised at the fruit that would be born from it Um, how do terrorist acts even create a backlash to harm their own communities Uh, he gave an example of the Jewish communist and then the resultant anti-semitism for example can can you discuss that a little bit well I think two things happen I, I think people the whole idea of terrorism is to create fear 
and people don't like to be afraid. Uh, and so there's a natural backlash by the people who are affected by the terrorism. When you see uh, the plane go down or you see the bus blown up, the natural response is, I'm angry with the people who did that. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want that suffering to exist. The other thing that happens is the people you're fighting against can use that against you in, in the propaganda. And one of the things he talks about is, is a, a Nazi official who was killed and the Nazis turned it against the Jews and said, listen, all the Jews are against us because this one Jewish person has killed an official. And so you kind of give a, a propaganda opportunity to the people you're fighting against when there is violence. And, and they say, well, these terrorists, these people are causing all this problems. They're causing this fear. They're causing this violence. And it can kind of turn the opinion and turn the hearts of the people you're hoping to win over uh, against you. So in this one example, even, this, this Jewish communist revolutionary is partially culpable for the suffering of his own kin people. Absolutely. And, and it happens in other cultures, too. It, uh, it does. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times we don't look at that. We sort of, it, it's sort of like in a football game. They look at who struck back, uh, not who hit first. <laughs> and I think our history pages are sort of replete with that in newspapers. But, but these things like this are, you know, what cause commonly a lot of problem. And, again, it creates a backlash. And it, there's a term used today, popular blowback. Uh, which gets disputed a lot, but it's sort of the same kind of principle itself. Um, on page 43 of the book, he, he talks about the background of most terrorists. W what's important that we know here in the West about the typical background of a, an average person who becomes a terrorist? Most of the people who are terrorists today have a low level of education, and they come from a very poor background. One of the things that happens, and we see it in the Muslim world, the guy with the backpack full of explosives is not the guy who made the plan. He's the guy off the street who doesn't have a job and doesn't have an education, and so he volunteered, uh, quote-unquote, for this particular task. And that's still true today. You know, we see it in the Muslim world. We see it around the world that people who are, are poor, people who are uneducated, can be manipulated either through money or through indoctrination. They can be manipulated to do just about anything you want them to do. And, and the people who are leading these organizations and leading these movements are often quite wealthy and right. quite educated, and they're simply manipulating people to follow what they want them to do. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, friend to even the Scythians. Bionic. Yeah, those people out on the edge of the Bible map. Who, mm -hmm. You never know who quite yeah, who those people have are. you got to have a fold-out map to find right. it. Right, yeah, they're out in that generous uh, wilderness out mm -hmm. there. This whole idea about enlarging your love, mm -hmm. to me, I think that's the heart of it. You, you meet these people and say, look, we know you love your principles and stuff, willing to die as well as kill other people for it, on what you think were injustice and making it right. How about we show you how to have a wider circle? I'll tell you what, man, that has like been my new... My new catchphrase, in fact, I mentioned it on a Bible study I did last night. I mentioned it like ten times, like, yeah. love others radically. Yeah. You know, get out there and just love them and just love them. Love. Well, my catchphrase has been Shazam. <laughs> it doesn't have quite the catch, but somebody else who has a catch is Merv who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. 
Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. That was really funny. We've got to come back for tomorrow's segment. Till then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And Tom, uh, we need to really pray for uh, uh, everybody that they mention here, Bionic. Amen. Yeah. Including the Iranian pastor that we talk about here. Yeah, I, that I, uh, I, prayed, I prayed for that guy already, twice. Pray for our brethren who are suffering. Mm-hmm. Okay? Not enduring the foolishness like we do. people don't, you know? It's like, yeah. I mean, that should be like the first thing in our prayer life. It helps solve some kind of petty arguments we have with the people around it's us. Like, yeah, nobody chopped my on head that. off today, so right, uh, right. I haven't been sentenced to death. Cause for praise, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something else we, we have great praise over is our guest that we've had this week, Todd Nettleton, the Director of Media Development for Voice of the Martyrs USA. Uh, talking about Reverend Wormbrand's appeal for Christian love for terrorists today. Uh, as discussed in the classic book by Reverend Wormbrand, Jesus, Friend of Terrorist. A provocative message, uh, one that sounds disturbing initially, but you always should give Reverend Wormbrand a listen. And uh, let's go to our last segment with Todd Nettleton, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. And, and see, that knowledge helps us create empathy. Not, not, not to agree with what they did, obviously, particularly if it harms people. But there's a lot of harming people going on on all sides, if we're really honest. Some of it's state-sponsored, some of it's individuals like this. But it, but it helps us individually think about the air of desperation of what some of these people are in. And, and they make some wrong choices given some wrong influences they have. You know, he says it this way. He says, my heart breaks thinking about the many terrorists hanged in countries such as Algeria, Egypt, and Iran, and the tortures they must have endured in some countries before their execution. He says, are states unable to find another way to handle their young citizens who have gone astray? He says, look at those who are hanged. The great majority of terrorists come from the poorer class. They have known unemployment, hunger, despair. Those of the wealthier classes had no moral education in schools and no examples of morality in public life. In school, I learned trigonometry and Latin, which I never had to use. I never learned what life was all about, what my duties were, and where I could obtain the spiritual power to fulfill them. So, uh, you know, when we look at other people, so many people have not been exposed to what we take for granted as a biblical worldview uh, and also had the resources we had to have our basic needs met that it helps us understand, again, where these people are, are coming from in their experience. Um, at the end of the book, he makes a really simple phrase that I think gives, gives me a lot of food for thought on page 91. And let me just ask you, based upon what he says here, who does Jesus fear and hate, and how should that influence his disciples? Well, what Pastor Wormbrand says is that Jesus fears and hates no one. Uh, and in fact, 
you know, one of the things that is in the Bible, according to Pastor Wormbrand, 366 times, do not be afraid. And so how should we feel about terrorists? We should not be afraid, and we should not have hatred for them. We should see them through the eyes of Christ and, and see them with his love uh, as somebody who is, has been led astray, but somebody with a soul that Jesus came and died for. Do you think that our our media here and even our Christian media foster that fear and hate a good bit? I think, I don't know if they foster it, I don't think they fight against it. Uh, and, you know, we have become the 30-second soundbite culture, and you can't have any nuance in a 30-second soundbite. And so, you know, Muslims are bad and Christians are good, and that's the soundbite. That's the, the context of, of the reporting that we get. Um, like I say, I, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say they foster it, but I don't think they fight against the misunderstandings and, and try to really dig in deeply with, you know, a few exceptions. But, but for the most part, I think that's true. But it does sell a lot of books, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Uh, if you can get people scared about the menace... Um, you will make people do all sorts of things that they normally wouldn't do. <laughs> if, 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 you can, if you can convince them that if they don't do this, they're going to lose family, friends, their way of life, all of this other stuff, they will do stuff that is uh, anathema to the gospel. Well, and, 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 and let me just say, I'm absolutely no fan of communism, okay? Um, no, of work not. for the military to try to stop those kind of things. But if you go back, I saw a movie the other day from 1971, a Christian film, and it, the subject matter was about when, when the communists eventually invade our country and kill all of us. And, and there were some good messages in there. It was very valid. It really was a call to being you know being more close to Christ and that living the, godly lives. The, if the yeah, tired, right. Yeah. But when you look at that in hindsight, it, it, we, we had a Christian theologian on our show a short time ago who said that America has just stayed in a perpetual state of emergency. Mm-hmm. And I think our Christian culture has sort of stayed with that button. We've been had the red button pushed, but, but sometimes on the wrong things. We preached for decades that while we had Christian, real Christians suffering in prisons in the Iron Curtain, you know, in those nations that we gave over to Russia at the Yalta Conference, those those that we willingly gave for their for their tyranny, uh, were suffering. At the same time, we were constantly fed this fear that the communists were going to take over every square foot of the United States, and we spent large sums of money to defense contractors to protect that. That has now switched gears over to Islam, where we, we now, you know, we hear that our president is a Muslim, and they're trying to get Sharia law installed here right now and all these other kind of things. And I'm not saying any of those things are danger, but it sure seems to me, judging from the emails I get in my email box from Christian ministries, that that certainly is a lucrative position to take, is to keep the fans of fear and hate. Americans will give a lot of money not to be fearful, yes. <laughs> and, and it even works with religious terminology as well. You know, um, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot on those things, but I appreciate your thoughts on it. He closes with the last paragraph, and there are two sentences. Um, from that... Um, what, what charge does Reverend Wormbrand give to terrorists and all of us in that very last paragraph of his book? The last line that he gives us is start by changing yourself. Uh, mm. You Change is good. More justice in the world is a great thing. Uh, more peace in the world is a great thing. Start 
by changing yourself. And, uh, you know, it's easy, it's easy for us all to say, well, if the government would do this, or if that Christian leader would do this, or if my mm-hmm. pastor would do this, and he answers that by saying, take a look in the mirror and start by changing yourself. You become more peaceful. You become more loving. And pretty soon, if all of us do that, we'll start to have a world that is more peaceful and more loving. And, uh, you know, it, it's a charge that you can't walk away from yeah, and mm-hmm. you can't pass exactly. it off to somebody else. It's on you to take the truth that you have and to start making it more a part of your life. You know, for that to be valid, rather than, than trying to take over a political party or a political system or or to use other kind of overt means by which to get your objective done, if, if you possess this personal thing, you have to first believe that the Holy Spirit has the power in each of us to make this change one-on-one in people. That it's it's not necessarily a ballot box, it's not necessarily any other power structures that are the key to win the battle, but it's the Holy Spirit one-on-one in each one of us. Uh, to make this reality. And you also have to acknowledge that these battles are spiritual battles and they're not physical battles. And that when, when it says in the Bible that we rest not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and rulers in, in these uh, dark places, is that if, if we're going to have a struggle, if we're going to have uh, you know anything regarding to, uh, hatred, it should be addressed to the principalities and powers of darkness. Uh, who stand condemned rather than the human pawns that, that, that are in this human, this physical sphere that it's just a mere shadow of the spiritual battle that's truly going on, is it not? I think you're 100% correct. And I think we, we have access to the power to change ourselves, not literally us changing ourselves, but allowing God to change us. That's, you have to start from that basis. And, you know, when you see a terrorist and you see that God loves them and that God can change them, that changes your whole mindset of how you're going to address them, how you're going to interact with them, not as somebody to fear and hate, but as somebody who Jesus died for that needs to hear the message of the gospel. That's mm-hmm. a completely different mindset, and that's a part of the change that Pastor Wormbrand is talking about. Start by changing yourself. And would it be a good idea to just have Christians get together to start praying for these people and that praying Absolutely. that God would could illuminate their minds to what they're doing and to fill them with the love of Jesus Christ and somehow make a way that they can know about Jesus. Uh, and, and maybe even when our enemies aren't, you know, aren't a jihadist, they're just merely somebody of another political party. W- would it also be good to pray for them as well too? Or somebody has a different political belief than we have? I think it is it is the best thing to do is to pray for them and to pray for ourselves right. that that we truly are living out the truth that that we have mm-hmm. a clear understanding of the mm-hmm. situation. Um, you know, it's one thing to pray from a position of pride and say, "Lord, thank you that you've revealed all truth to me. Now mm-hmm. please strike truth on this other person." Uh, it's another <laughs> right. it's another prayer completely to say, "Lord." I'm trying to do what's right. Help me to understand what's right. And by the way, bless this other person as well. Um, it's a different prayer. Amen. Amen, brother. That's ex- that's exactly right. And uh, also to request empathy 
to be able to just pray for understanding for these people who have positions we don't understand. Many times it's out of our ignorance or we've not been in their shoes. And, and if we can get empathy, that will help us in our love for them, will it not? It will. One of the, one of the great prayers, I think, to pray uh, for the people we work with, the people we live with here in America, as well as for terrorists and people who live overseas, is, Lord, help me to see that person the way you see them. Mm-hmm. And I think when we do that, when God allows us to see through his eyes of love, the love that caused him to send his own son to die, that when we see them that way, uh, we're ready to interact with them, we're ready to bless them, and we're ready to to love them in ways that are, are practical and in ways that help them to come into the kingdom. Well, I want to warn our listeners about your thought, that what you just gave a revolutionary thought there, and it would create... A tremendous disruption and cataclysm in our nation if we started doing what you just said and start and start really seriously asking for a God's eye view about other people, people who we oppose in our own country or people around the rest of the world because it's going to severely impact the purchase of chandeliers in our churches and uh, fancy buildings and other places and we're probably going to end up you know directing our activities toward uh, you know, spending money in overseas missionaries and to spread the gospel and to send large number of missionaries to places if we start having a God's eye view about things. So, you know, you're closing here with a very revolutionary thought about having a God's eye view about the people around us. I, I can live with that. Okay. If I'm to get up and clap. Or that's something. that's on Seriously. your consciousness, you know. Uh, I will. I will. I will bear that burden. There's yeah. going to be there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of infrastructure that we go here that that. You know, it goes out of low maintenance because it's going to be shipped over to share the gospel and have Bibles printed and motorcycles for pastors to go from one village to the next mm-hmm. and uh, for missionaries to be planted in areas that are hostile to the gospel where they can establish friendships that last decades to hopefully uh, lead just a few people to the Lord. You know, some more William Carey's and people like this out in the world. Um in clothing, in closing here, I know we're coming up to the last uh, last little bit here. Um, what are your ministry's biggest high priority concerns in the world today? I think that you know our priority is always the same. Our priority is to to stand with and to serve the persecuted church. Uh, when you look at uh, countries where you know we are, are sending resources, where we are seeing a lot of persecution. Uh, there's a couple that I would mention, and one is Iran. We've talked about Iran a couple times over the course of this conversation. Iran is a, is a country where the church is growing at an amazing rate. Uh, there is an incredible hunger for the gospel in the country of Iran, but that growth is coming with a price, and the government has said, in fact, Ahmadinejad said one of his one of his campaign promises was, I'm going to take care of this church problem that we're having. I'm going to take mm. care of this Christian problem. Mm. And so we're seeing Christians arrested. We're seeing them persecuted. Uh, there is word just within the last 30 days that a pastor has been sentenced to death. I prayed um, for that guy. Yeah. We We are still finding out all the information. Uh, my understanding is the the formal written verdict hasn't been delivered yet. That was what they called an informal verdict. Um, so Iran is one of the countries I would mention. The other country I would mention right up front is North Korea. Uh, North Korea is, is a prison camp mm-hmm. disguised as a country. Right. And 
everyone there is oppressed and everyone there is persecuted, but Christians are singled out for the very worst persecution because the whole country is built on this idea that Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il are divine beings who you should worship. Mm -hmm. And so if you say, well, I worship Jesus Christ, that's not just following the wrong religion. That's really treason against the whole country uh, Mm -hmm. because they have built this system of Juche, this religious system deifying the leaders. And so Christians literally are sent almost instantly to concentration camps. Some of them simply just disappear. If it's found that you're a Christian, you're gone. You're, nobody hears from you ever again. Uh, and so it is an incredibly difficult place to be a Christian. And with the transition in leadership that uh, appears to be going on there, uh, it seems like in the short term that may get worse as this new guy shows how powerful and strong he is. So mm-hmm. uh, we're very concerned about what that's going to mean for the Christians in North Korea. Okay. Um, t- to conclude that the topics we had on this on this uh talk we had today uh, do you think if Reverend Wernbrand was with us today and he would look at where the American church is right now as far as their relationship to to terrorism that's going on you know here in Nashville right here in the heart of the Bible Belt we uh, we've, we've had a big thing where some uh, Muslim worship centers have been uh, attacked some of their equipment has been burned they've been told that they're not welcome here uh, we had here in our area some Qurans that were burned. It was a big national story where they had to be piled and, and burned them and things like this. Um, do you think he would have any words today to the American church and how they're responding to terrorism? One of the things that Pastor Wormbrand said quite often uh, was, I hate communism, but I love communists. Mm-hmm. And I think... There's some truth there that we can hate uh, a theology and a doctrine and a religion that is wrong and and oppressive and sinful without hating the people who practice that theology or doctrine or religion. Uh, And that, I think, is a message that resonated when Richard Warmbrand said it. I think it still resonates today with American Christians. I hate communism, but I love communists. We need a little bit of that. We need the, uh, the the seeing eyes to know what's wrong and what's right, and we need the love of Christ for all of the people, even the ones who are practicing and, and indoctrinated by the things that we disagree with. If I can make a suggestion to your ministry, I think it would be wonderful to have a revision to this book, Jesus' Friend of Terrorist. Um, for our, for our, our new younger generation, and have uh, one Jesus friend of truthers, because as I mentioned earlier, we have a large generation. And I'm serious about this: a large generation of young people who are, who are revolutionary in their thought. They recognize that the materialism uh, that we've grown up in in the West is is meaningless, uh, mm-hmm. that is devoid of purpose. They want to do something. They want to reject it. They also want to acknowledge the things that we've done to exploit other people in the world that are legitimate concerns, and they don't want any part of it. But many times they associate the message of the gospel with with all of that because many times even even some of our efforts that included missionaries and things like that in times ago were, were part of colonial systems that did a lot of this stuff and for a lot of different reasons, even their own personal ones. And And I feel like... Internally, 
we have a generation that are, that are grasping many of these revolutionary thoughts, and they don't have a sale uh, to adjust them. And a message from Wervin Wormbrand, or even one tailored to their concerns in a book like this, and how they can enlarge their love is a is a message for today. And uh, I believe this book can stay fresh and still speak uh, to us for many generations, you know, as the revolutionary thoughts continue to come. What do you think about that thought? I will. Uh, I'll take it back to our resource committee. I, I I'm intrigued by it because I I do think there's some incredible truth in this book that that does speak very clearly to the United States in 2010 and 2011. And so uh, anything we can do to help keep that message out there and, and get it in front of people who can be impacted by it, we definitely want to do. We, we mentioned a, a friend, a colleague of ours, Chris White, on our show occasionally. Mm-hmm. He, he, he could mention as much as the Rockefellers and the Nephilim yeah, lately. He, he has no resources, uh, Brother Todd, but he goes on the Internet, does some simple documentaries, debunking zeitgeist, and some of these other things that are sort of revolutionary truther movements, acknowledging that many of their points are right about society, but showing them that they're throwing out Christianity erroneously based on false data. And he's had hundreds of millions of views of people, mm-hmm. young people who this is where Thousands their mind is. People have converted, but they've been they haven't been told the whole story. Mm-hmm. They right. need somebody who respects the truth that they found, but can show them the whole truth. And uh, I really believe Reverend Wormbrand's spirit and heart and how it pervades the organization might be an amazing group to be able to accomplish something like that. Um, one thing I'm concerned about as we close here is that when we talk about foreign lands and Christian suffering, I worry that it's coming to our country. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, our new president approved uh, a document signed by the prior administration about right-wing extremists enlisted people that are dangerous to our country and dangers of violent attacks that they should watch and include people that believed in the second coming of Jesus Christ, people who were pro-life, people who believed in the Constitution, and and many other things that we hold dear, uh, national sovereignty, this and that, but many things that are just classically Christian, uh, doctrinal beliefs. Um, And I fear that that, that the time will come when there will be clamping down on our pulpits and pastors any quick word on any talk internally in your group on how you might respond to those days ahead if they might come and how that ministry might come internal? Well, it's a great question, and it's actually something we are wrestling with. Uh, you know, what? how do we deal with this? Because we've always sort of said, uh, you know, when you compare America to a place like China or a place like North Korea, it's hard to call what we suffer persecution. But that that might be changing like like you say and so we've actually even our our board of directors has had some some discussions in their meetings about okay how do we do this what happens when being the servants of the persecuted church means being the servants of the american church right. how are we going to address that so i don't have an answer for the question but it is a question that we are wrestling with and we are asking uh, in our office and and among our leadership team is what's going to happen and how are we going to respond? How are we going to deal with that? Because we see the same reports that you see mm-hmm, and we right. see, uh, you know, some of the things that are happening in our country. And, and it's hard it's hard not to think that the freedoms we've enjoyed for so long are being eroded away. Mm-hmm, that's right. Um, I tell you, you're a very brave man to be on our show. You probably didn't know what you were getting into. Uh, but, you know, we love Jesus. We love your ministry. 
Um, we're searching for answers ourselves. Obviously, we're wrestling with very difficult questions here, and we're trying to be bold and seek honest answers, and we misstep from time to time. But uh, we appreciate your ministry so much and your time to share. You're, you're welcome back to talk about more of yeah. your classic topics of Voice of the Martyrs. Any time that you can make time for us, you have a standing invitation. If you have emergencies, if you want to email us to get our prayers out, like this pastor in Iran, then I want all of our listeners to take take to the Lord immediately. But any other thing like that, I just you're you're a friend of the show, and anything we can do to help further you in your ministry, we'd sure like to do that. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And I, I hope it's been thought-provoking, and I hope you understand the spirit of where we're coming from in this and uh, wanting to be part of the solution, not part of the problem for the kingdom as best as we can. Uh, in closing, how can our listeners get your book and support your ministry? These are two things I, I strongly implore our listeners to do. Get this book and then go get a case of them and give them to some of their relatives and church friends. Uh, this book, it's, it's a little-known book. It will shock people when they read it, and those are the best kinds of books are the ones that shock you. So how, how can they get the book and support your ministry in general? Let me tell you two things. One is our website, and it's easy to remember. It's persecution.com, persecution.com. This book, there's, there's a link right on there to VOM Books, which is our online bookstore. But right on the front page is a request where you can request Pastor Wormbrand's more well-known book, Tortured for Christ, and we'll actually send that to you for free. If people want to read the book Tortured for Christ, go to persecution.com. Uh, we will send it to you. We feel like that's a part of our ministry, to to be telling the stories of the persecuted church. The other way to get a hold of us is a toll-free number. It's 1-800-75-VOICE, 1-800-75-VOICE. You can request our free monthly newsletter, which keeps you up to date with what's going on around the world. Uh, and this book, Jesus from the Terrorist, is available on our bookstore, which, again, you can link to from the front page of persecution.com. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, get get those books mo- moving. I want their ministry to see uh, the appreciation, this appreciation that you all have for this book. Uh, but by get this moving, support their ministry in any way possible. I recommend you all get uh, tortured for Christ and hand it out to everybody in your church uh, the Sunday before business meeting. And I think you'll have a much more well-behaved business meeting when people get a reality pill of what really matters to the church. Uh, compared to some of the trifling things that we argue about in our in our churches, uh, brother Todd, thank you so much for joining us. And if there's anything else that we can do to help you, please calling us, and we're we're at your disposal. Well, thank you very much. It, it has been fun, and uh, I think I hope it's been insightful for for our listeners it's as well. It's been great. Thank you again, and God bless. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Doctor Future, and Tom. We got a question convoy rolling through the interview. Bionic. <laughs> I made the mistake of mentioning we got through nine <laughs> questions in this segment. I think I even had a convoy uh, reference. So yeah, we got we, ourselves a convoy. Hey, Pyro doesn't like singing. So, oh, sorry. Uh, all kidding aside, this is a very, very serious segment. Uh, I think it boils down to what he said about Jesus, about Jesus does not fear and does not hate. So do no. we have any business doing it? If no. we're supposed to be like we're Jesus? To be loving people. Just loving them. Radically, like wow, it's it, radical love, and not the paranoia. No, not but just like uh, you don't understand. Uh, they're gonna come get you. They're coming over the fence. Yeah, 
you need to throw aside all the stuff that it says in the gospel, otherwise it's going to, you know. We have no time to share the gospel with them or even consider their uh, their arguments and consider if there's any validity or to it. Or even consider that maybe we're being deceived. Well, that might be too far off the show. Sorry. <laughs> Can we edit that? Yeah. It's okay. Uh, well, we, we've got to go to Murph, who can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we can come back tomorrow for tomorrow's okay. Tremors. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And Tom, big fan of Lou Rockwell, Bionic. Yeah, you know, it's somebody who would be neat to have on our show sometime. Yeah, that'd be interesting. We could get it, get mm-hmm. it to work out. And also, that's where I got smart, my first story from. Smart people there. Possibly. And, and it's, uh, why do we have stories today? It's Friday, and what does that mean, Tom Bionic? It means it's tomorrow's tremors, or today's review of the future's news. Uh, this is the big one, Elizabeth. I'm coming to Georgia. <laughs> This is the big one, honey. Wow, you got it right. Did I? You got it right. I, I know. So, you inadvertently I, got it so right. So many times I'm wrong. I just sort of let it, it slipped out. You You're know? absolutely right. It's tomorrow's Tremors or today's review of the Futures News, where we review the news, uh, not our normal reserved self like we are Monday through Thursday, as you know. Always very stoic. Yep. Uh, a little, little bit uh, laying a hair, hair down. Any announcements you got? Uh, we just need to love each other radically and just pour the love of Jesus out on everybody you meet. That's your announcement? That's my announcement. Okay. Uh, that's not really a temporary one. I think that's sort of like, I not know, like an I event. I think you need like, to be reminded of Don't it. just do it on Tuesday. Yeah, You're like saying, let's do it all the time. love people and just be like, I just love you. Let me tell you about the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know? That may of, be the most useful thing ever said in the six years of future questions. It just could then. be, man. You know, like, you know how Christians... It, it's you need you know how some people like view the world view some Christians like well they're kind of like freaky I don't know where they're coming from sure it's like because they just love each other so much it's like mm-hmm. it's weird that's how we need to be like all the time yeah. we need to be like just love like we got a big old fifty gallon drum of love on the mm-hmm. QVC and just kicked it over mm-hmm. just getting, you know, all t- getting all over everything you know the freak the part I think we've done well here because yeah, we certainly had a parade. Part. Prayed of them coming through our show in the last six years, <laughs> including ourselves, anchoring it. Yeah. Hey, do you have a story for us? I do. Okay, let us. In well, on I guess let me let me say, do we want to hear about the the pilot uh, choices choices pilot to TSA? No groping me and no naked photos. Or do we want to hear about the serial killer who turned out to be a pilot uh, for Her Majesty the Queen and ran was the base commander of CFB Trenton? You got to go for that one. Yeah, the the serial killer one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Or do we want to help you, huh? the alleged cult leader actually worked as a state psychologist? We'll get to that one. All right. But you sort of given the punchline away from these, but I know yeah. it's in the well, file. the the TSA one is is, is longer and yeah. okay. Right. Let us have it. Um, serial killer 
slash pilot for Her Majesty. For all the horrifying variety of their specific crimes, most serial killers tend to have one thing in common. They operate near the margins of society. And then there's Colonel Russell Williams. We're going to have to rewrite all of the books, said Elliot Layton, author of the landmark study of serial killers hunting humans. None of the serial killers I know have been pilots for the Queen. None of them were photographed working with the Prime Minister or the Minister of Defense. None of them achieved the kind of high-functioning position he did. He's a complete anomaly. Boy, I want to editorialize there, but I'll refrain. <laughs> While most murders are committed by individuals facing chronic unemployment with no education and a tendency toward drug and alcohol abuse, Dr. Layton said serial killers are usually somewhat better off coming from a working class or lower middle class families. But Colonel Williams was not just scraping by. He was a senior ranking officer in the armed force and was base commander of CFB Trenton at the time of his arrest. There's never been anything remotely resembling this, Dr. Layton said. The position he occupied in society is so central and so significant. He was on the margins of being a big shot and obviously knew how to carry off the whole charade. Um, one thing here that, that I wanted, to, I wanted to, uh, our audience members to think about, if this guy, he obviously had to pass multiple extensive background right. checks. Right, for the queen to be around, sure. Yeah, he's flying the queen around, so they just dug through every little jot and tittle that he ever did. Mm-hmm. So what does that say, either A, about the screening, and B, about his ability to hide? Right. My guess is, is he probably... He, there might you might have to check the screeners to see what if maybe they, they wanted him the there. other way. What if they wanted him there? Yeah, there's there's all sorts of things here that are. Uh, well, first of all, let's just say some like random crazy speculation here. Mm-hmm. What we studied about the elites and different things and powerful places like NSA. You got a guy who's high up in NSA, Michael Aquino, who's part of the Temple of Set. He founded it. Okay, yeah, yeah and and also had accusations about these child sex rings and stuff mm-hmm. like that. We see books and things all the time about um, these high-level officials doing terrible, terrible things and torturing children and doing all this other kind of stuff. I mean, you've seen the stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that these high-level people participate in this kind of activity. We also found out, like when Lady Diana died, mm-hmm. that the MI6 had somebody placed next to her, mm-hmm. totally unaware, that had, you know, other agendas in mind. Yes, yeah, some yeah. agenda. Yeah. So... Nothing of that surprises me. That the possibility. Sure, I mean you that go, they might know. You go dig into the Franklin case, and you yeah. dig into uh, uh, this. What's going on there in Belgium? You know, they had this whole thing where the uh, the king was implicated in just some really, really gnarly, nasty mm-hmm. stuff. A hundred thousand people protested. We never heard boo about it over here. Yeah. You know. Yeah. What does that say about uh, you know? What our media? Yeah, the CIA was in, implemented or. Uh, uh, implemented. The CIA was somehow involved with the Bologna train station bombing in 1973 mm-hmm. by the bombers and the judge's own words. Well, Mumbai bombing. Yeah, uh, yeah. The guy was a, the guy <laughs> was a double agent. Yeah, you know, recently. CIA double agent. So yeah. it's like it's hard to. I don't. I don't know why this would be so surprising. No, it's good to know. I mean, I'm glad you read the story because mm-hmm. that just shows how depraved. Yeah, could be. Nobody knew. Yeah. I mean, it could very well be he got through. But you ask a good question. How, with all these battery of tests that they do, that they couldn't pick up something like this mm-hmm. unless they knew? Yes. So, okay. Yep. Um, anyway, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll skip ahead here. But Dr. Layton said the number of serial killers makes it impossible to draw any conclusion about their professional affiliations. 
To understand what drove Colonel Williams' actions or allowed him to rise to such a high rank in the military, he said more information is needed about his early life. Most academic study of such criminals theorizes that people who go on to be serial killers are raised in homes with tremendous physical, sexual, or verbal violence where young people learn to anesthetize uh, themselves against the feelings of others. They feel nothing for other people. Other people just become objects to relieve your long-suppressed rage and objects of your sexual fantasies, Dr. Layton said. Robert Picton was raised in this kind of environment, he noted, before being convicted of murdering six Vancouver women. Unfortunately, the op- if you're in a CIA mind control program, that's probably another cause too. I was going to say, yeah, there's so yeah. much I want to editorialize on this. I mean, yeah. it's just I scratch my head at this stuff sometimes. Unfortunately, the opportunity to understand or question serial killers usually ends after they confess. Said uh, he said, as Colonel Williams did in his guilty plea on Monday. What we don't know is anything about him prior to the panty raids, which was an early part in the article. Uh, I skipped mm. over. Uh, Dr. Layton said, uh, until we learn something serious about him, all we know is that he's a bizarre anomaly hmm. or that he just got caught. Yeah. Wow. Well, that discussion led to a couple stories I have. Oh, really? The first one, uh, brainwash victims win cash claims. This is on the Times Online, London. Uh, hundreds of mentally ill patients who were subjected to barbaric CIA-funded brainwashing experiments by a Scottish doctor could be entitled to compensation following a landmark court ruling. Dr. Ewan, Cam- Ewan Cameron, who became one of the world's leading psychiatrists, developed techniques used by Nazi scientists to wipe out the existing personalities of people in his care. Now, I believe he was brought up by Colin Ross. I think he was yeah, one of the guys I, that fingered in that. Familiar. He may have even been mentioned in the book by Nick Redfern, too. I'm oh. trying to remember. Um, okay, so he's Scottish, worked on at the CIA using Nazi scientist techniques, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cameron, who graduated from Glasgow University, was recruited by the CIA during the Cold War while working at McGill University in Montreal, Canada. He carried out mind control experiments using drugs such as LSD on hundreds of patients, but only 77 of them were awarded compensation. Now, a landmark ruling by a federal court judge in Montreal will allow more than 250 former patients whose claims were rejected to seek compensation. Gail Kastner, who underwent electroshock treatment at a Montreal psychiatric I remember that name. institute in 1953 and whose claim was rejected 10 years ago, successfully appealed the judgment. Now, people doubt that this stuff's going on. These people had to have overwhelming evidence to get court approval. Mm-hmm. If people doubt this, if, if this is true, which obviously it is now, this changes everything about how we look at our country and our government. It, it has to. I mean, it should. Okay. Uh, last week, Alan Stein of Montreal law firm Stein & Stein, which represented Kastner, confirmed he was in the process of contacting former clients who could now renew their appeal. There are about 200 people still due compensation, he said. This judgment should have sent out strong signals to the Canadian government. Those who have previously missed out uh, should have a strong case for appealing. Now, these are just people for this one arm of the work at McGill, okay, Mm -hmm. these hundreds of people. Um, Using techniques similar to those portrayed in the celebrated novel, The Manchurian Candidate, it is believed that people could be brainwashed and reprogrammed to carry out specific acts. Cameron developed a range of deep patterning treatments while director of the Allen Memorial Institute at McGill University. 
patients were woken from drug-induced stupors two or three times a day for multiple electric shocks in a specially designed sleep room made famous by Ann Collins' book of the same name. Cameron placed a speaker under the parent's patient's pillow and relayed negative messages for 16 hours a day. See here on FutureQuake, you only get it for a half hour a day. Uh, Kastner was a 19-year-old honor student suffering from mild depression when she first underwent treatment in 1953. On returning home, she, she sucked her thumb, demanded to be fed from a bottle, talked in a baby voice, and urinated on the floor. She was ostracized by her affluent family who were unable to cope with her changed state and her marriage in 1955 quickly broke down due to her difficulties. Cameron, who was born uh, in Bridge of Allen in 1901, uh, rose to become the first president of the World Psychiatric Association. Wow. This wonderful gentleman that did the Nazi yeah. experiments. Uh, it took two decades in the persistence of Joseph Rowe, the distinguished American civil liberties lawyer, or oh, those bad, terrible people. Mm-hmm. Uh, ACLU, to just help people here who were suffering terribly, to uncover what happened and secure compensation for some of Cameron's victims. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. How does a guy like Cameron, uh, this Cameron guy, even Cameron, how does, what would he sleep at night? Um, no one they, he took people like this. Is this because they're spiritually demonic? On, I tell you, i got to go back to the other article. Demonically controlled uh, or what? They're, uh, they learn to anesthetize themselves against the feelings of others. They feel nothing for other people. Other people just become objects to relieve your long-suppressed rage and objects of your sexual fantasies. Because this almost is like being a serial murderer, except he was just totally, paid for it. He was totally. paid for it's, it. You unmake people. That's yeah. the only way that you could possibly do yeah. that to somebody. Is yeah. You unmake them, and you go, well, they're not really a person. Or they are not. They might be a person, but they're not like me because they're I mean, more godlike. And it's just taking a person like this to the, so awesome. taking them to the gallows would be a... Gentle. They'd be getting off easy mm-hmm. after this kind of thing with these people. Yeah. I, I am perplexed. And our I'm not CIA perplexed. paid for it. I'm not perplexed. I know, I think I understand the mindset of what goes on having watched mm-hmm. people who are um, fundamentally uh, challenged in yeah. certain areas. Yeah. It's like, I think I, I think I have an insight to it, but uh, it's just, it's so sick. You can't even, yeah. man. It's just sick. It's equally sick to me is that people don't care. Yeah. When they hear, they shrug their shoulders like, oh, that's oh something. No, First of all, they refuse to believe that can't be true. Yeah. And then when you show, well, look, they won in court. They had to prove it in a court of law. Yeah. Oh, well, so what? Oh, well. You know what? Pass I the like, potatoes. Yeah, I like driving around, and I like mm-hmm. steaks, and I like mm-hmm. going, going to the mall. Going, going to listen to music, going to the mall. Why should I get indignant? Why should I get involved? Oh, well. What's in it for me? <laughs> oh, well. They've not done it yeah. to me. What's in it for me? Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. That's somebody who told me that. He told me, oh, well, more than once. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. When the man comes down on them, who's going to be saying, oh, well, about their suffering? Yeah. They don't. Well, they don't think the man is actually coming down on them because yeah. they they think they're somehow part of the inside crowd, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. I, those guys in the SA, in the Nazi movement, thought they were the stormtroopers until the SS showed up one day. Yep. You know, the night of long knives. Ribbentrop was all, was thought everything was <laughs> yeah. great until he found a gun to his head. Yeah, the yeah. night of long knives. Yep. Took it. Okay, you got a story for yeah, us? Yeah, um, I have a really long one here, but I'm going to pass that and say this might even make a make a short uh, a short segment of Future Quake. 
right. guy gives his address and stuff. I'll talk to you later about okay. it. Uh, alleged leader of cult works as psychologist. Uh, this is from uh, a journalist, Michael Bachelard. Um, I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, anyway, uh, a woman accused of leading a cult that has damaged the lives of scores of people is working as a psychologist with vulnerable patients at a community mental health service in Queensland. Uh, that's Australia. Natasha Lakeve, N- Natasha La- Lakeve's Universal Knowledge Organization was offering courses until last year uh, that prophesied the world would end in t- December 2012 and almost everyone except her devote- devotees would die. A former member of her inner circle, Carly McConkie, told The Age Sunday uh, that uh, Miss Lakeve was physically violent and psychologically manipulative and had persuaded her followers that she was the Queen of Atlantis, a reincarnation of Jesus Christ and one of 12 members of the Intergalactic Council of the Universe. She had all three titles. Yeah, sweet. Wow. Yeah. That's, every a traf- day. that's a trifecta. And to think that she was working over in Queensland this whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, she was the Queen of Atlanta, so yeah. it sort of makes sense. Yeah, there you go. Maybe she was saying it was her land. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, anyway. Probably had Charlie Tuna working for her. <laughs> Funny. Miss <clears throat> LaCave is now working as a government-employed psychologist at the Ashmore Community Mental Health Service near Surfer's Paradise. I, I know where that is, actually. Mm-hmm. However, after the Sunday Age re- raised questions about her history, Queensland Health agreed to investigate the claims against her and invited anyone with concerns to raise them with authorities. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's Usually they go... Refreshing. Yeah, usually we don't believe these claims. Yeah, it's not America. Yep. Miss LaCave denies all the claims of her former followers saying she did not run a cult, had never been violent, and the theological claims were merely metaphors, adding, this stuff has been taken completely out of context. Complaints You know when you say you're the queen of Atlantis and you don't really mean it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a metaphor. Yeah, when you say you're Jesus Christ and you don't really mean it. When you were saying, look, I'm one of the 12 members of the Intergalactic Council of the Universe, man. Yeah. I mean... Uh, anyway, complaints against her by former acolytes have been investigated once by the Queen's, Queen's Health regular, Regulator, but no action taken. The National Health Regulator, regulator will not comment except to say Miss Lekiv has current registration and is therefore deemed, to fit, deemed fit to practice. Uh, Miss Lekiv's lawyers wrote last December that she, is, she was working as a case manager. Great. Uh, a large portion of her clients were all often initially highly unstable with disorders such as schizophrenia, delusional disorders, major depression, major anxiety, and personality disorders, the letter said. Forensic clients with homicidal backgrounds are also present on the Clinic Ross client list. Ms. Lakeith has faced criticism for more than a decade about the extreme practices on her courses, and the accusations that she was a practitioner of coercive persuasion or mind control techniques. Wow, tied to the last story. Yep, Miss McConkie, who spent 13 years under Miss LaCave's sway and only escaped in January this year, said Miss LaCave had hit her and exploited her. Miss McConkie lived on or near Miss LaCave's northern uh, uh, NSW, I can't remember that. New South Wales. Yes, it. Property, uh, Omaru, near Burring Bar, for many years and during that time handed over $140,000 and spent nine years working without pay in her office. Natasha Lakeev should, should in no way be a registered psychologist, Ms. McConkie said. 
that keeps business, universe, or knowledge is styled as a New Age personal development course. It has not offered courses since last year, but the program promises to cleanse the cellular memory of its participants and help them take the next evolutionary step by lifting them into the fourth dimension. Yeah. Ms. Lakeve told the Sunday Age she had not worked with the business for many years. However, she founded the business in 1999, and she is listed on their website as guiding individuals and groups for over 20 years in cellular memory cleansing. Mm-hmm. It is based at her property and is run by one of her devotees, and she and her children own 75% of the shares. Mm-hmm. She begged the Sunday Age not to refer to her uh, to her work at Ashmore. She said, I don't harm people. I re- I'm really good at my job. My clients are fine. My patients are fine. What made you decide to read that story? What was it that caught it for relevance? Um, it's just the fact that it just seems like more and more and more, if you bother to look at the the news, mm-hmm. uh, the people who are running things are are nuts, mm-hmm. batty. Um, mm-hmm. And we tend to really just like embrace. I just had a conversation with a psychologist a couple of weeks ago, and the air that they the air that they sort of lay their opinions out there mm-hmm. it fascinated me in sort of a weird mm-hmm. not nice way and mm-hmm. so that story i read that and i was like well gosh you know when i spoke in montreal with all the new agers that worshiped a pantheon of mm-hmm. mythological gods and the mm-hmm. you know ufo cult religion almost every one of them i met was a psychologist psychiatrist mm-hmm. counselor and you know we probably have some of them in our listing audience you know we're not talking about you uh, but but you probably, if you listen to Future Quake, you probably know these same kind of people and wonder what in the world's going on as well, mm-hmm. too. Um, but it does, and, but most of these people work for the state. They are actually state employed, believing, and they were like child to, like, the, the lady who co-runs that group at IHS is the top psychic spirit channeler in Canada and also the top child psychologist. That's terrible. That's okay. scary. And the state pays her, yeah. you know, to And they sort of they sort of dispense wisdom. And yeah. uh, they dispense and She wisdom. even gets it from hidden masters. Yeah. That's her um, wisdom. On the un sort of the unwashed masses. Right. And then at the same time, um they expect you when you don't agree with it. You're like, Well that doesn't that fails the truth claim. William James said that the truth mm-hmm. is the expedient in the way of knowing. And that's like, well, that means that there isn't anything such truth. And so, therefore, it is logically, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a logically fallible statement yeah. if you say that there is no truth, right. you know, and that's what they're saying, yeah. and that's that what they it, build on. Then that can't be true. Yeah, yeah. And that's what they build on. It's just, like, yeah. crazy. Well, would you like to relax a little bit with All our right. yeah. weekly terrorism thing. paranoid uh, moment? There we go. I'm, I'm we need a little fear and paranoia of yeah. terrorism we're in closing. Gates. If we don't, if we our don't last, surrender our, our, last five minutes. our beliefs and philosophies, then... I'll just give you a five-minute devotion here at, at yeah. the end, okay? This is from Kurt Nemo. Uh, Mumbai terrorist suspect worked for U.S. government. Uh, this was... Uh, um, Remember the Mumbai attack where they burned yeah, the Yeah, that, that guy was a double whole, agent. That yeah, they burned the whole hotel. For weeks. Here's some more info. Oh, great. Last week, U.S. officials declared there was still a threat from unsubstantiated terrorists in Europe, while New York City police conducted a drill simulating a Mumbai-style attack on civilians in Manhattan's financial district. The State Department's counterterrorism chief told reporters in London uh, that a travel alert issued on October 3rd that advised travelers in Europe that a Mumbai-style assault on civilian targets might be imminent or maybe not. 
On Saturday, federal officials acknowledged that U.S. businessman David Coleman Headley, who supposedly confessed to being a terrorist scout in the 2008 Mumbai attacks, okay, U.S. businessman, mm-hmm. terrorist scout, um, was working as a DEA informant while training with terrorists in Pakistan. Ding. Okay, he was working for the for the terrorist in the Mumbai attack. He was also on our payroll. Okay. Mm-hmm. Federal officials who spoke only on back on background because of the sensitivity of the Headley case also said they suspect a link between Headley and the Al Qaeda figures whose activities have sparked recent terror threats against Europe. Reports ProPublica, an independent nonprofit newsroom that produces investigative journalism. Now, some people can say, "Oh, well, they just did such a poor job. This terrorist got in or went rogue, and you know, you know," or it could be. That it's an indirect way to support terrorism. Sure, state well, sponsors, it's, it's just like, which is uh, what you and I uh, would Yeah, our Leslie Deek, Deek, this guy who spends big money at war, the Army War College and does all these endowments and stuff, and is the same guy. Uh, he also works for the American Patriot Group mm-hmm. uh, as in the consulting role, and then also uh, is the guy who gave the entire payroll to the uh, the the Ground Zero Mosque. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean it's like. <laughs> Well, let me just get a few more points in before we wrap up here. Um, it says, uh, ProPublica reported that the FBI had been warned about Headley's terrorist ties three years before the Mumbai attacks. Mm-hmm. Headley, however, wasn't arrested until 11 months after the attack. After Headley was arrested in a 2005 domestic dispute in New York City, his wife told federal investigators about his long involvement with the terrorist group lashkar i Taiba and his extensive training in its Pakistani camps, writes Sebastian Rotella. She also told them he had bragged about being a paid U.S. informant while undergoing terrorist training. Uh, Lashkar i Taiba was designed for black ops. It is a creation of Pakistan's Inter Services Intelligence, or ISI. Yeah, this is a, another government agency in Pakistan running its own terrorist the group. The ISI is it, yeah, uh-huh. like the CIA of right. Pakistan. And receives considerable financial material and other forms of assistance from the Pakistan government routed primarily through ISI. The ISI is the main source of LET's funding. Saudi Arabia also provides funds, according to the Southeast Terrorism Portal. Uh, Lashar E. Taiba also played a role in the ISI organized Bosnian campaign against the Serbs which was directed by the CIA and British intelligence when we also sent a war team and paid money to go resolve, which mm-hmm. the CIA had started. Lashkar is the military wing of the Marwaz Dawat uh, Wal Ershad connected to Pakistani Al-e-Hadith, a group with close affiliations to the Saudi Wahhabis. Marquez, established in 1986 by two Pakistani university professors, uh, assisted by Adullah Azam, a close aide of Osama bin Laden. So Osama bin Laden is connected to this mm-hmm. CIA effort. Azam was enlisted by the CIA to run Islamic camps or groups in Peshawar and later if they go between for the Afghan Mujahideen. Mm-hmm. CIA directly, his confidant of Osama. Mm-hmm. News of Headley's connection to intelligence is nothing new. 2009, it was reported he may have been a U.S. undercover agent who turned rogue, according to the Times of India. Um, and this goes on. During his interactions in India, Headley frequently introduced himself as a CIA agent. Okay. So, uh, in 1997, Headley, a.k.a. Daoud Saeed Galani, a convicted drug dealer, 
was plucked out of prison by the DAA and sent to Pakistan to conduct undercover surveillance operations for the Drug Enforcement Administration. Hmm. So, what do you think? Oh, it's really sad. Yeah, it is, and we really just have time for Merv to tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Ball of confusion. Refried confusion. Come back next week for another great guest. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.